Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rebel Starbuck with you. This week, once again, on Shooting the Shizat with my co-host, Dylan Broder. Dylan, what's happening? Yeah, well, aside from some technical glitches, uh, we are on the air now, and uh, recording anyway. We are live recording in this studio down here in Helsinki. And there's lots of wrestling going on, as it seems to be every single week. Uh, I mean, I think at one point we wanted to talk about rock and roll at some point, and it just, like, there's been no time, you know? Well, the thing is, it's like, uh, well, we can always throw some, maybe some uh, little bits here and there. Yeah. Rock and roll. I mean, the thing is that, uh, I guess Metallica's playing now here. That's right. Yeah, actually, I just remembered. I was uh, I was up at this Ilosari rock that uh, is up in, I guess it's the Ilosari Lake or something in Yoansu. Mm-hmm. Working there uh, with the with the bands and things, there's actually uh, uh, quite a bit of DJs going on there. Well, that's the new thing now. The new thing, yeah. yeah. They're replacing bands with DJs, even in the clubs, and they're paying them a lot less. They're paying bands a lot less, but they're the, paying bands a lot less too. Yeah, and the, the funny thing is, uh, in that way, maybe they're paying. Let's say you pay a DJ half as much as you pay a band. Well, a band is five members, let's say, and the DJ is one guy. That's it. So you know, in a way, it's a very smart business strategy. And DJ is te- technically a producer. And there was, I mean, I'll say it. There was a, a DJ there that. Um, you know, I know that actually producing music is actually quite difficult. It doesn't matter what kind of music you're going to do. Write a song. To get a hit song is a very difficult thing, no doubt, for whatever. You could have a hit song and nobody's ever going to hear it. But uh, That's it. But say they do. Um, it's kind of odd to me, and I, I don't think this is the truth for some DJs, but when you you go there, you got your turntables and stuff, legit turntables, not saying these CD, DJ, you know, things that, you know, you're not really spinning anything, and uh, but then you got your laptop, and you play your song mm-hmm. from your USB stick. Yeah, and then you get up on top of your table, yell to the crowd to say "Hey ho," whatever you're saying, mm-hmm. and they're all saying it, and they're all dancing to twenty thousand of them. Mm-hmm. That's basically how many there were there. The sea of people, twenty thousand, a lot of bloody people. Let me tell you, and. Uh, but here you are, you know, you don't have any dancing skills, you're not a singer, you're just standing there on a table, yeah, fist pumping with a lot of pyro, big pyro budget going on there, uh-huh. huge stage, uh-huh. huge stage, giant set and everything like that, massive video screen, and you're playing, you're playing your recorded music. And I know that some guys don't, some guys like, you know, uh, I guess build it and actually do the pro- process uh, to a degree mm-hmm. right there in front of your eyes, and I think that that's really respectable. But this idea of uh, you flying in on your private jet or some, you know, ungodly amount of money to make you play there with a wild pyro and all this kind of stuff, twenty thousand people in front of you, and you and you're just playing your recorded music. I don't know. I think it's lazy, and I don't. I guess I'm. Becoming from a musician standpoint, I don't really get it. And I understand sometimes those songs are catchy and they're great hits and they're cool on the radio for a lot of people. But when you go and see something live, I always liked, I always got out of a live show when a band played, you know, their hit song and they they 
kind of did it a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that always got me. I loved that. My, my brother of mine, one of my brothers, he hates that. He wants mm-hmm. the band to play it how it is on the CD and yeah. don't do any. You know, if you're Zach Wild, play the exact solo, please, that I heard on the CD. I don't oh. want you to, you know, play it. You know, play a bunch of other things. I want the I want the solo from the from the album. I don't like that. I, I rather people change up melodies, change up things the you know uh, even like drag a certain part of the song on a bit longer if the crowd's feeling it yeah, just yeah. like you got to gauge the crowd that's it you know if yeah. or do they want to hear a slow song do they want to hear a fast song do they want to hear a heavy song do they want this song to continue a bit longer yeah. you know so it's gauging gauging that's, it. that's, that's it. a hard thing to do it's yeah. really hard to do same thing in wrestling yeah well that's exactly how it all comes around here because uh, we had fight for the fallen that was AEW this past weekend. We had their counter-programming, as they say, this Evolve 10th anniversary that was, uh, I guess, on the WWE Network. Yep. And uh, G1, uh, I guess the G1, bunch of days from New Japan that was killer matches there, too. And it was all, like, different stuff. You know, you had AEW. I actually was going to say, to me, AEW is taking a big page, kind of being the the higher budget of this PWG pro wrestling gorilla, where there is a little bit of these ridiculous matches going on. Then you add in some incredible professional wrestling wrestling going on there uh, on top of it, you know? Uh So that being said, do you want to talk about, um, actually then there was extreme rules, wasn't there? That's right. Uh, by yeah. WWE. So we, what do you want to talk about first here? I guess we could just uh, pull apart the, or take apart the WWE event first. And, and then actually we have an insanely special guest on today that I'm very excited about. Tell oh, us, absolutely. Tell us who we got on the, on the horn. Former WWE Tag Team Champion and uh, the son of one of the all-time wrestling greats out of England, one of the, one of the WWE legends, yeah. Davey Boy Smith. His son, Harry Smith, Davy Boy Smith Jr. So this guy who's been wrestling now in Japan for the past several years after leaving WWE and uh, working all around the horn, so to speak. He's he's been working for NOAA. He's been working for New Japan. As of late, uh, all around Japan with Lance Archer as his tag team partner. The Killer the, Elite Squad. Love, that's right. Love yeah. that name, actually. That's right. He's also in the the New Heart Foundation in MLW with Teddy Hart and Brian Pillman Jr. That's it. So we're, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about with Harry Smith and Harry, who comes from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, same place where I was trained at the Hart Brothers Wrestling School back in two. Th- or sorry, in, in 1992. 2000 uh, and 1992. Yeah, that, that's something. So, so <laughs> I broke in the business in 1992 as a ring announcer, TV commentator. But 1993 was the year that I was trained in the actual wrestling grappling game in Calgary. And uh, same place where Harry Smith now was trained uh, at the same time as TJ Wilson, a.k.a. Tyson Kidd in WWE, whom he was a tag team champion with around uh, 2011 uh, as the New Heart Foundation also in, uh, or just the Heart Foundation uh, in WWE and with Natalia Neidhart by their side. So Natalia also brought up in Calgary. But... Uh, before yeah. we get to Davy Boy Smith Jr., aka or real name Harry Smith, we will run down Extreme Rules WWE once again pumping out the pay per views. 
Man, I heard that they got about 30 hours of television every week to facilitate for that WWE network. I don't know how they do it. They got an, an enormous writing squad, uh, all kinds of Hollywood writers writing their stuff. Um, that's a lot of TV time to fill. And that said, uh, it's like, you know that there are some pay-per-views where it's just going to be run-of-the-mill. It's not going to be super special. They're going to try to hype up every pay-per-view to be like something, you know, that you you must see. That's what their Monday Night Raw and their SmackDown programming is, is designed to do, is to drive pay-per-view buys. It's uh, The payoffs come at the pay-per-views. They don't come on the television shows. And that said... This now was the last or the latest installment of what WWE has building, been building towards now for a few months with different storylines. Well, so now since uh, Paul Heyman took over the writing of Monday Night Raw, some things have changed. Yeah, it got more confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Eric Bischoff then taken over the writing duties of SmackDown a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. But anyway... Uh, now we see this new regime on pay-per-view and, uh, well, on the pre-show, Shinsuke Nakamura defeating Finn Balor for the IC strap. Now this said, I got no problem with the outcome, but I do, or I must say that I kind of feel like these title changes mean less and less all the time. Back in the day when Macho Man or Honky Tonk Man or whatever was the IC champion, it was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it was like that was a major title, right? And and they built it up as a major deal when it was defended, especially when it was lost. It was a major, major thing. Uh, for the past several years, I can't say that there's been a single title holder, like for the U.S., the tag team, or the IC title, that's really meant much of anything, like as far as longevity or as far as like memor- like memorable moments or a memorable run more so. And that said, now when Shinsuke takes the uh, IC title, it's just, I, it's kind of like, okay, nice. Yeah. But that's it. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. Mm. So let's see what happens, but it's just that I guess Shinsuke, he's been, he's been, in the tag team scene now, like almost like they couldn't figure out what to do with him. So they just put him with Rusev. Yeah. And now he's out of that. Now he's a singles player again. So defeating Finn Balor quite in quite resounding fashion, seven minutes, 40 seconds. Um, not sure if they're building now towards, uh, putting all four members back into the club, which is now AJ Styles going heel with Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows and, Adding a fourth member, maybe where the Demon King no longer, or perhaps just Finn Balor, uh, going on a losing streak and yeah. uh, finally snapping. I've had enough of this crap and joining the club and getting back with the boys. I, I think, guess, yeah, I yeah. guess so. I mean, uh, I didn't think this was that special of a match, and oddly enough, I think it, it like on paper, yeah, this should have been. Like, uh, it had, like, the the writings on the wall for, like, match of the night kind of thing. Or, you know, at least uh, a very, very good match. Two guys from New Japan, you know, who can pull it out of their 
their a-holes like a, a match anytime they want. Right. But for some reason, first of all, this is on the pre-show. Hey, by the way. Yeah. Does your A-game come from the a-hole? Sure does. Okay. That's right. Just wanted to double check. <laughs> Sorry. Where bro. else would it come from? Yeah. Or the, you know, but I mean a-hole is an E-H-hole. You know, the Canadian a-hole. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> you know what I mean, eh? Yeah, I know, eh? All right. <laughs> so... But the thing is, I'm sure people are still filing in the the attendance they did not specify as they normally, well, we got uh, 15,000 people in this, uh, or packed. They didn't say. They just said a packed house, uh-huh. which probably means half of the arena's empty. More than, I was trying to look, more than likely. Yeah, I was trying to look up the actual numbers here, but uh, there is maybe on purpose none uh, out there. But anyway, it's kind of like a, I, you know, this is the thing. Um, I, I love it when the first match on the card is like uh, a main event-ish match. Like it could be a main event on other shows because it's like the curtain jerker. You want to like, you want to put some stars there to yep. like grab, to so people come early and stay late. And, and also you got to light up that live crowd. You do, you do. You got to warm them. And I think that this, it should have done it. Uh-huh. But I, I don't know, it fell short. There was like, the intensity wasn't there. There was lack of urgency. and In the Shinsuke Finn Balor. Yeah, and it, it, this is like a, this is a legit title. It used to be the title for wrestlers. But th- then again, this was the pre-show. It was the pre-show, yeah. yeah. I, I get what you're saying there. But still, I, like I, what I'm saying is that this should have been better. Yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can understand that. Yeah. But it is what it is anyway. So Shinsuke taking the title, seven minutes, 40 seconds, and... Uh, Second match of the pre-show, Drew Gulak, now champion in the cruiserweight division for WWE on 205 Live. And he's a, he's a legitimately great wrestler. He is, actually. I, I think yeah. he's fantastic. Uh, defeating Tony Nese, former champion, 7 minutes, 25 seconds. Once again, I didn't see the pre-show. I didn't watch. I didn't have time. Uh, did you see this one? I saw at least a bit of it. Uh, and the the guys are quite good. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no doubt. But I think this is like, kind of played out a bit. Mm-hmm. Funny that I think these guys should be in a tag team together. They, if, if I'm looking at the pictures of both of them standing next to each other. Yeah. And like, do they, I don't know, to me it screams tag team. They got the same beard, the sna- almost the same smile, mm-hmm. near same hair. There's your, that's, come on, WD, put this, make a tag team division here. You got, you got two guys looking at you right now. But, but uh, just Tony Nese is jacked and Drew Gulak's natural. I guess that's true. But then, there you go. You could have the, the the naturally jacked. I don't know. They're the, that, that's their that's the their natural, name. Natural jacks. No, naturally jacked. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and you could change their both names to Jack. Yeah, so Jack Gulak and Jack Nice. I don't no? know. That sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Golf balls through a garden hose. There you go. <laughs> but this is like uh, it sucks, and that's why it will work. Is that, that's the, um, is that, that's an AEW gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> but they would do it because they know it sucks just to, just for spite, apparently. Ah, well, anyway, moving anyway, on. Anyway, yeah, but yeah. It, I'm, I know it, the, it was good, but again, it seems like pre-show they're told to like dull it down, I think, you know. Yeah, there was a 450 splash spot, spotty deal. How mm-hmm. long was this match? You got it there on the thing? 725. Yeah, probably actually a good amount of time you know, for, for these guys to go at it. But well, that's it. I mean, WWE, like they, they know how to gauge, uh, and, and pace the, the matches on their cards, like, especially on these pay-per-views. They do. Yeah. And and that's where like, you gotta, 
handed to them compared to AEW where everybody gets like 20 minutes. We'll get into that later, but anyway, it's just uh, AEW's out, like, out wearing their welcome really, really quick by trying this even Steven playing ground with like putting everybody on the same level playing field. It just doesn't work that way. You need upper tier players, you need mid card players, you need lower card players. Otherwise, the product doesn't work. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Main card. Yeah. The Undertaker in an opener. There you go. When's the last time you ever saw Undertaker in an opener? Upside down card on this one, I think. You know, in in terms of like the star power. Oh, yeah. You know, this, it was a bit, well, there was a hell of a lot of matches on this, on this event, wasn't there? Like, uh, geez, like it just doesn't seem to end. Well, they had basically, if you want to count like the, just the main card. Yeah. 11 matches. Yeah, that's that that's ridiculous, you know. And do you need that many? I don't think that's, so. That's it's just too ridiculous. I mean, this is not WrestleMania. No. No. Not even close, right? No. So, anyway, but uh let's let's try to be quick cuz I want to talk to Harry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I know Undertaker and Roman Reigns. So, yeah. that's the, the one of the big storylines on Monday Night Raw right now, defeating Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. No holds barred, man. No holds barred, yeah. Got to get the gimmick in there for this gimmick pay-per-view. When do these heels ever win, by the way? Okay, well, Shane wins, but when does Drew ever win? It's yeah. like, it's weird. It's really weird because, you know, it's like, here's the one guy that's more than likely in the next year going to be your WWE champion. And for what, or like universal champion, whatever. But uh, for the life of him, he can't seem to get any, like, wins when it really counts. And it's befuddling. It really is. Whereas a guy like Shane McMahon, who's not going to be on the house shows and he's not going to be like a regular and whatnot, is he goes to Saudi Arabia and he beats uh, Roman Reigns, even if it's with the help of Drew McIntyre, but still pins Roman Reigns, which is like their top babyface and they, who's going to be their top babyface for years and years to come. So it's really, really strange there too right now. I'm not quite sure where they're going with that. But nonetheless, in this match, Undertaker, then Tombstone to Shane McMahon, boom, with 17 minutes no holds barred. It's it's all right. It's as a match. It's it does it's, it serves its purpose. Yeah, I guess it what it it was as good as it could be. I mean, I'm really hoping. I guess the well, this Shane McMahon bit where they have Kevin Owens, you know, going doing this. What do they call it? The pipe bomb thing. Of course, it's like he's to- the new CM Punk. Yeah, totally scripted in pipe bomb, and and to me, it's like if you can think. That they've gone through months of this, well, since the the beginning of the year when the the McMahon said they're going to change the tune. Do you do you really think that they this was all worked out that they were going to drive the ratings super low and get people hating them so bad just to have Kevin Owens give this like big no. pipe bomb speech? No, of course not. It's it's just post damage control. I mean, it's it's finding a way like when nothing else worked in the interim to boost the ratings. It's like just turning and tweaking the story at whatever point to whatever serves that larger picture at that moment. That's really what it is. But that said, it's fine. I mean, it's uh, Kevin Owens. I guess he's ridden the heel uh, end of things for so long that he needs to... I guess ever since he borrowed that stunner from Steve Austin, you saw it coming. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's like he's going to get over yeah. with, with that stunner. And, um, well, even on this show, we'll, we'll get, I mean, it's, we may as well say it now. Cause I mean, it's, it, the match didn't last 15 seconds, but, uh, one kick to the gut 
one stunner and 15 seconds, and uh, Away Kevin Kevin Owens defeats Dolph Ziggler. So, so much for Dolph coming back for whatever money he came back for. Back to comedy, I think. So, yeah. Then uh, after that, after this um, opener that with the star-studded opener. We got the Raw Tag Team Championship match. The Usos versus the Revivals for the 342nd time, I guess. Uh, I don't know. but I miss this match. It seems like they are just... They are always wrestling each other because they're basically the only two tag teams that seem to really exist other than, I guess, the the New Day. What about uh, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins? Oh, I guess, yeah. They te- Them too? Te- technically exist. Yeah. Okay. But there's your tag team division almost. So, yeah, the Revival defeated the Usos. Uh, basically, um, clean finish. Yeah, the Shatter Machine. Mm. And there you go. And, uh, yeah, it was good. It, I, Formula. Totally. It, you know you know what they're saying? You know, they're pushing the Revival. Uh, did you see this match, though? Uh, I, again, saw, like, just basically the, mo- the end of it anyway. Okay. So. Well, the thing is that the, the announcers... Uh, are pushing hard the idea that this is like the new coming of Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. Right. Okay, well, first of all, that's dangerous ground right there. I mean, we're talking about one of the most fluid tag teams of all time. We're talking about just, I mean, pacing, gait. We're talking about uh, execution. We're talking about intensity, everything, the whole ball of wax psychology. Uh I can see the Revival are big fans of the Andersons, like, let's say, Ole and Arn, or even Gene and Ole, and, and maybe Tully and Arn, especially the Tully and Arn. Uh, but it's almost more more so of a tribute. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, I, I feel, like, even though they're good, but still, they're more so a tribute than the second coming of the real thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, give them time still on the main product. Uh, they're not there yet, Um it takes some. It takes some time. It takes some time. They're good, but uh, they need some other teams to work with too. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know they have supposedly asked for their release and got some. I guess they asked for their release and then they got the straps. Well, that's, you know, so maybe they're they're yeah. trying to hold on to these guys and give them something so they don't lose them. Yeah, but um, let's see. I mean, it's nice because not too long ago they were squashed by. Was it like the returning DX? You know, they got basically at that Raw 25. Uh-huh. They got murdered, basically, and, uh, you know, buried constantly by that Braun Strowman business. That tag team division just got, sh- you know, swept under the rug, basically. So, and I think that that's where, they, where AEW gets the, this fire from, where they actually seem to have a lot of tag teams and that's one of their big focus whether or not you like the matches or not yeah they still got them right and mm-hmm. it's cool I, i'm actually like interested to see this tournament that they're gonna basically kick off their their television with but moving along we got alistair black versus cesaro good match yeah no really i mean this I think that uh, Alistair Black had a point to prove here. I think that he had to establish himself on pay-per-view. I think that this is like his first time out as a singles on the main product. And it was time. It was time for him to show what he's got. It was a snug, good match. I mean, it was like they're laying in them forearms and European uppercuts. And, man, they were like... Somebody said on social media that Cesaro is like Bret Hart without the push. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, he's like that's he's that staple, you know, the guy, the dependable guy that you can, yeah, that you can bank on. And it's just that for some reason WWE just doesn't. I don't understand. It's like it's the one guy that really would have deserved it by now. I think mm-hmm. that that in a lot of ways, maybe it's that he can't still like his promos aren't that great. Maybe it's, it's possible. That. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. I mean, he does. He did apply the sharpshooter here. So there's your shades of Bret Hart. Yeah. Transitioned into the cross face. So, yeah, I mean. Um, ah, and the finisher. Finisher was pure gold. Oh, the black mass. Oh, but yeah. even in slow motion, it's like you can see, like, honestly, Cesaro's lights are dimming in his head mm. after the after the hit. Yeah, yeah. And it's flush on the jaw. Yeah, well, Alistair Black knows how to deliver that. I mean, I've only seen it once where it's been botched. Quite mm. badly, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, then again, I, I'm sure he learned his lesson, never going to do that again. But this, yeah, it was, I mean, it means something, and that's for sure. So it's, uh, and I think he needed to win, because uh, him and Ricochet, they need, I think they need that push. And yeah, uh, yeah. he needed to show the dominance here. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Anyway, yeah, nine minutes, 45 seconds, moving on. Uh, Bailey. Retaining her SmackDown Women's Championship against Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss, in a handicap match. Now, mm. I didn't watch the match. I honestly wasn't interested in the match. I Did you see the no. match? Okay, no, I, I skipped. Okay, so we'll just move on from there. Ten minutes, thirty <laughs> seconds less. Uh, said. So, so not interested. To me, it wasn't wrestling whatsoever. Yeah, the thing is that I, I don't. Whatever story that they're trying to build with here is, is like they've lost. Whatever Nikki Cross was the insane chick, you know, she was like that almost like Rob Zombie type of like, you know, girl from a Rob Zombie movie. Uh, it's it's now been lost. Yeah. Yeah. And and her character has become something else. Um, and she's ass kissing Alexa Bliss and the, and she's like her puppet. Well, for whatever reason, it just doesn't resonate with me and, and I just don't. I just didn't find it interesting to to even delve into the match. I, I had a limited amount of time to watch, and uh, that's one of the matches that I had to skip. Yeah, I only skipped two matches, by the way. Yeah, well, not included on you. Uh, so plus the pre-show, I didn't have time. But anyway, so that I missed this one, I missed that uh, Dash and Dawson tag. Anyway, right, right. anyway, moving on. Uh, so ten minutes thirty seconds, and Bailey retains, uh, pinning Nikki Cross. We got last man standing, Braun and Lashley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually didn't see this one either, but I was, because you know what? I don't like, I'm not a fan of Lashley, but then I heard that this was like a pretty damn good match. I, I watched it. Yeah. What yeah. did you think? Uh, lots of bells and whistles, lots of like brawling on the outside of the ring, lots of, uh, how could you say collateral damage? Yeah. Like, I guess that's what it needed to be as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the finish was quite Interesting. So, like, Braun power slamming Lashley off of, uh, I guess, well, it's, it wasn't really a stage, but it was, like, off of uh, part of the building. Anyway, right, okay. The entranceway or whatever. Uh, through whatever it was into the story below. Right. So, and then Braun bursting out of the wall like breaking the wall physically, the jip rock, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Lashley did not answer the count, but he was down behind the wall, still from the power slam. So a really unbelievable spot. Um, like, 
As in, you can, it's not believable. Yeah, as in, it's not believable. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so it's it's a way to get out of that match and a way for Bobby Lashley to lose. Yeah, sound, this sounds to me like that Attitude Era style stuff where it's very where very uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie kind of deal where superhuman stuff and maybe that's that's what they're going for these two superhuman like dudes smashing things all over the place yeah but then again in this world of realism uh which i think i think that the pro wrestling world is thankfully headed towards yeah um well i don't know maybe maybe it would have been entertaining so there you go yeah a lot of bells and whistles but uh it was they they had some pretty interesting spots in that match anyway, but uh, seventeen right. minutes thirty seconds. It was r- rather long, and it yeah. felt and it, and it actually felt longer than it was. Mm. Okay, moving on. The new day, Big E and Xavier Woods against Daniel Bryan and Rowan, who are the uh, SmackDown Tag Team Champions, against Heavy Machine, Riotis and Tucker. Fourteen minutes. Uh, triple Threat Tag. You know what? In this match, this was actually pretty damn good. Yeah. Okay. And. Uh, the the finish the finishing sequence was pure freaking gold it was Big E and Daniel Bryan the last two guys in the ring and man when Big E started to come back from from the dead or whatever you want to consider it to be it was that Superman comeback that mm. he just couldn't be stopped and he just just mowed over Daniel Bryan and just completely decimated him yeah for the pin at the end and the pop was unearthly. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, that's that's the way you get somebody over. And man, they, I mean, poof. Those kicks, I mean, Daniel Bryan's lacing into the yes kicks yeah, yeah. into his chest, and he's like stiffing them like nobody's business. Nice. Yeah, potatoes all the way from Idaho. That's what you got to do. Yeah, and it, but it was, it was good. And then when it, like when Big E came back from that, he just started to go for the no-sell and do the Hulk Hogan comeback. And Man, oh man, it's like you could just feel it. Like it's like now you're in deep shiz out there, boy. Mm, all right. And you, like you could literally feel that. Yeah. And that's what you want. You want that emotion. And once again, pro wrestling is about tapping into emotion. It's not about the spots, ladies and gentlemen. Never has been, never will be. That's where I think that AEW right now is like miserably failing uh, to get a hold of like establishing their talents is that they're just having them go out there and do a bunch of freaking spots. That's not how you get over. You need character depth. You need people to care about you. You need uh, like just basically personality. Mm, I hear you. Yeah. And and it has to show forth. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to compare this triple threat tag team match with the AEW's triple threat tag team match, which was... The uh, Dark Order, uh, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus, Luchasaurus. and Jack Evans, and uh, and Helico. Uh, I mean, yeah, there, there was no di- comparison. Yeah, totally. Well, first of all, totally different matches, oh, totally yeah. different styles. In this in this WWE match, you really have no nobody who's a um, extraordinary character. You know, like these masked weird dudes with a bunch of minions creepers whatever and a and a dinosaur man and that kind of stuff so it's an interesting thing you know it yep. would be interesting to see like do a poll and and see uh, in terms of american wrestling fans and which which one did they think was the better match because i mean i'm all i'm all about proper wrestling as well but i did also 
enjoy that AEW match uh, mostly because of the pop from mostly because of the crowd reaction. Anyway, that's right. what I'll say. But well, anyway, we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, but so new SmackDown uh, tag team champions. It's the New Day once again, tag team champs, and so Kofi is the uh, the SmackDown heavyweight champion in WWE, and now. New Day's teammates and New Day, they're, they're cleaning house. Yeah. All righty. So AJ Styles now has turned heel, and right. now he's in a program against Ricochet for the U.S. Championship, United States Championship. Yes. Here we go. So boom, 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 boom. Very spotty match, uh, but very competitive too. Yeah. Um, it's a spotty match done right. That's what I have to say about this one. Um, so that it feels like there there is jeopardy. It's not just guys just doing fantastic moves. It's, right. But there's a feeling of urgency, a feeling of deliberation, and a feeling of uh, jeopardy. Right. Uh, AJ Styles winning the U.S. championship after interference from Carl uh, Anderson and Lou Gallows. And uh, so Ricochet, now a former champion, didn't last very long. But I guess this sets them up for a series of rematches. Yeah, I'm sure. But this was a really damn good match. What, did you see this one? Yeah, yeah, I did. And what did uh, you think? I thought it was. I thought it was good. I mean, um, I I guess I just don't understand why AJ Styles is going after this belt because um, he can't go for the heavyweight championship all the time. You I, got you got to change stories sometimes. I, I guess, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, then again. I, I understand why Ricochet. This was I was listening to the Chris Jericho, um, Tagus Jericho, and they were given the preview with Jack Slade about this, and he kept in a hilarious way calling Ricochet Ricocket. So <laughs> now I can't think of Ricochet without thinking Ricocket in my head. But anyway, Ricocket or Ricochet, as he's known, uh, he's phenomenal. Should go, and I guess in that way, since that Carl um, in the sorry. Alistair Black uh, against Cesaro, there's no belt there. So yeah. that's where you can push uh, Alistair Black up. Yeah. And here, I guess, by having Ricochet lose to inter- while there's interference, yeah. I guess you save him a little bit uh, and you keep the heel status going. Uh, I never liked this idea that they're calling it like the club or whatever. Are they going to go? That's really with- generic. Yeah, I think it's like they're obvious ripping off the Bullet Club. And yeah, I know that those guys are, you know, Bullet Club original dudes and la, la, la. Think of something else, man. There's so many, like you got how many people there that can think of stuff. Uh-huh. Think of something else and... and Why didn't they call them the, the Ammunition Club? Yeah, or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, but uh, the, the missile... The missile group. I don't know. But hey, when the big boss man went to WCW back in the day, he was known as the boss. <laughs> True, yeah. Right? So, it'd Bull- be, Bullet Club, the club. Yeah, it'd be funny if, like, Diesel, Kevin Nash, he goes to WCW and he's known as gasoline or something like that. Petrol. Petrol would be yeah. even better. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, I thought uh, good match, not match of the weekend or anything like that. But this is, again, one of those matches that I was disappointed in. It had this mixture that, like like that Shinsuke Nakamura Finn Balor, it should have been like match of the year, just about. But nonetheless, I guess it was not, And but it was definitely good enough. Uh, the thing was, there's so many matches on this card. Yeah, how, that's how, it. you got to stand out somehow, and it must have been really difficult to do so. Well, moving on. Yeah, but this match stood out, actually. Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler for an interesting reason, which you pointed out earlier. 
Yeah, that's right. So just one kick in the gut and boom and off you go with a stunner and a one, two, three. So it's over before it even begins. And for that reason, it's the come down match. It's the popcorn match and big super pop for Kevin Owens. And then he gets on the microphone and blasts whatever promo he blasted, ripping apart Shane McMahon. Yeah. Moving on, Kofi Kingston against Samoa Joe for the uh, WWE Championship. This match was really good. I mean, it's like I I realized like pretty much where they're going with this because but and, and that said, like when is Samoa Joe going to get a break? The heels in WWE, it's like they never freaking win. Mm. And it's just the weirdest thing ever. It's like, how do you retain your heat if, like, week to week, you're always losing on television, and then you're losing on the pay-per-views. Yeah. Even if you win on television, you're winning the tags, right? You're winning in tag matches, not in the singles, where, like, where the belt's on the line and where, where it counts. So, this is what, like, <sighs> Samoa Joe... He's the one guy that you could put on top, and he's credible enough, he's intimidating enough, he's he's intense enough that he can carry the ball. Yeah. But they're not putting him up there. Once again, it's, it's like he's he's close but no cigar all the time. Yeah, and I mean, I would argue in a little bit in this match that uh, I felt like they, again, well, this, this seems to be sometimes a problem these days, but guy, it seemed like they they didn't get it going as hard as I wanted it to go. And this is a pay-per-view match, so I thought, and especially with Samoa Joe, I wanted it to be a little bit more explosive. Is is that a word? Yeah, yeah. You know? And the thing is, I think that he's good any day of the week. So I don't think it was a bad bad match either, but I just I just hoped, as in a WWE Championship match, I hoped this was going to be like a, just a, a crazy... You know, it doesn't have to be crazy, I guess, but it just more fire and explosive uh, intensity. But um, if I was going to give a criticism here, but, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, then again, again, this was a brutally long show, a lot of matches, and um, people didn't have much time to to maybe do ex- everything they wanted to do, or you know, or maybe there was time constraints. Maybe you know they needed to wrap things up pretty fast and and. You know, you never know. Well, the thing is that I think that for what it was, it was still rather good. I think that Kofi was, like, fighting from underneath. I think that there was a sense of, like, desperation there. I think that especially that uh, when he was fighting back in in his comebacks and in in his attempted comebacks, I think that there was uh, some piss and vinegar there, and I think that uh, there was maliciousness behind Samoa Joe's attack. So in that way... I was very fine with this match the way it went down. I think it yeah, I could have been longer. It could have been maybe a bit more, how could you say it? Like the pacing could have gone you could have gone up a gear or two in the match and yeah. then before dropping back down and, and then in the go home just uh or once you're once you're finishing up that you would have the sense of urgency. But I think they did. I think that the the, the finishing sequence I think they did have that urgency there. So in that in that way I, I was once again rather okay with this. Nine minutes forty five seconds. Yeah. Then, main event, uh, Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch against Baron Corbin, Lacey Evans, uh, Universal Championship and WWE Raw Women's Championship on the line. So, in other words, if the team of Seth and Becky loses the match, they will lose both titles regardless of who gets beat. That was the stipulation. This was no DQ, anything goes, extreme rules. Uh, And, uh, well, 
Seth Rollins. The idea here was that the girls can only fight the girls and the guys can only fight the guys. So extreme rules. Yeah, and even without <laughs> even without tagging. So in other words, let's say that uh, if only one of the partners tags out, that means that the other person on the other end of the ring is all of a sudden legal and even without a tag is now part of the match. Right. Um, I understand that where they were going with this, because then finally at the end, when Baron Corbin does get his hands on Becky Lynch and starts, you know, throwing her around, that's when Seth Rollins snaps because that, that was not part of the deal. Yeah. So that I understand, right? So then he goes apeshit ballistic and he takes the uh, kendo stick and he starts whacking away. But that said, now in these like extreme types of matches, the the metal chair has to go. And the reason I say that is because now you can't hit nobody in the head anymore. And all you're getting is a bunch of guys getting hit in the hit in the back. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything. It's no. just like it's you hit a person once with a chair in the back. It should be enough. One good hit. Yeah. That's it's the equivalent of a high spot. If yeah. you if you know where to place it and put it and do it right. But when you do a, a ton of these foreign object blows, it's just that it means less and less and less every time. Uh, okay, at the end, Seth then went ballistic, and he just started, like, lacing into Baron Corbin with a, like, well, how could you say, an intense barrage. Yeah. Which then made up for, you know, I guess the inane amount of uh, object shots in this right. match. But that said, once again, I think that the chair shots need to go. I think it's just too much. It's Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. But then what did we get right at the end here where uh, somebody shows up and uh, cashes in a briefcase? The Beast, I guess he cashes in Paul Heyman's spoiler, whatever you want to call it. After Seth Rollins pins Baron Corbin after the third curb stomp. Yep, Yep. 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 Brock Lesnar, Heyman did a promo earlier in the night saying that he promises that tonight Brock Lesnar is going to cash in the money in the bank. So Lesnar at the end comes out, cashes in, and two German suplexes, bell rings, one F5, and your new Universal Champion now for how many times has he had it now? I guess nobody cares, right? That's in my book anyway, but uh, to me... He got it again. He got it again. And the funny thing is that I know the internet's griping about Brock Lesnar, the boring and like so predictable and so like repeat, repeat and whatever. But you know what? At the end of the day, if you think of like homegrown talents that Vince like built from scratch, Brock is one of the guys that he built from scratch. And Brock size-wise and look-wise and... I think as a complete package, being a former UFC champion, he's everything that Vince would want in a heavyweight wrestler. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. So, like, when Hogan was the top guy back in the 80s, that was the standard, right? You know, and then Stone Cold for a period uh, in the 90s, and then in the uh, early 2000s, at the end of the 90s, The Rock and whatnot. But when we're talking about homegrown talents, even Rock was homegrown. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess, the, I think most people are upset about, up quote-unquote, upset about Brock Lesnar 
again becoming the the champion the universal champion anyway yeah uh mostly probably because it's like well um can we see something new maybe yeah i mean he was i guess he's had the belt for three this is the third reign technically yeah and uh, but he's held it for like an unbelievable amount of time during those reigns yeah so i i think people were just wanting some something different and but then again this is the this is the thing that seems as though Vince McMahon likes to piss off the fans and that's like, you know, getting that emotional response. Well, that too, that too. And the thing is that like, you can't argue with the fact that if you look at like Brock Lesnar's title reign in the past several years now, he's been champion for many of the past years, uh, even though he's lost it, but he's regained it. Um, he's been pretty damn dominant. Like in his, even those matches are pretty much the same thing. So are Hogan's. So was Hogan. He was repetitive, yeah, yeah. right? He was predictable, but in a different way, so was Brock Lesnar. It's all about the German suplex, and it's all about the F5 at the end. It's really not about anything else. Maybe once in a while he's going to throw in a Kimura lock, but otherwise just close lines, and he's just going to throw you around with a suplex. True. So that said, um, that story can be told with multiple opponents. And, and that said, too, when he wrestled Finn Balor, I think, was it at the end of last year? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. That was a damn good match, even mm-hmm. though it's like you're getting the same formula, but it's a different opponent. Yeah. It's it's how the opponent meshes with your style. Mm. And that's the magic of pro wrestling. A lot of people, it's like what they don't realize is that the, the top guys in our profession... They always do the same moves with everybody. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's Bret Hart. doesn't matter if it's Shawn Michaels. doesn't matter if it's Ric Flair or whoever else, Hulk Hogan. It doesn't matter. Their opponent can be whomever. They will do the same moves regardless of opponent. Now, so it depends on how well your style meshes with the style of your opponent, which dictates uh, the potential of how good that match can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, I guess it's going to be interesting to see where do we go from here. Uh, are they going to go into that, uh, you know, I guess those, what is it, that Fox TV deal in the in October and and going to ride the uh, Brock Lesnar over onto SmackDown or, or what are they going to do? But um, let's see, maybe this Paul Heyman storylines or whatever that he's got going in his head that are completely confusing and incoherent at the moment maybe they're going to pay off who knows right that's it we got to just see but yes we are going to give a call to harry smith davy boy smith jr and uh, after that we're going to give you our review of aew's fight for the fallen pay-per-view but first right now let's hear from our wonderfully wonderful good sponsors Hey there, my name is Michael Mudgelai, better known in the pro wrestling world as the Rebel Starbuck. I've decided to launch a brand new live action entertainment venture called Slam Wrestling Finland, which is an on-demand service offering the best top-of-the-line professional wrestlers out of Europe today. We can custom tailor the entire show from start to finish. Girls matches, triple threat matches, tag team matches, or then the good old one-on-one damn good wrestling match. If you've got something in mind, we'll find the right guy or girl for the job. 
Slam Wrestling Finland is an on-demand live service that offers you, as the customer, the opportunity to choose as many matches as you would like. Contact us today at slamrest.fi or slamsports.eu. Red Skull Hot Sauce. Fiery sauce focused on flavor. Made by a Canadian in Helsinki. Awesome sauce in a sweet-ass skull bottle. That's Red Skull Hot Sauce. R-E-D-D Skull Hot Sauce on Facebook and Instagram. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with you on Shooting the Shizat this week, and it's our honor and our privilege, our pleasure, to have Davy Boy Smith Jr., Harry Smith, all the way. Are you in Calgary right now? Uh, you know what? I'm on the opposite end. I'm down in Tampa, Florida at the moment. Tampa, Florida, damn. So is it the, uh, are you living in Tampa nowadays? Uh, yeah, you know, I sort of moved back here this summer now that I'm doing more work stateside and with MLW. Uh-huh. Uh, I've kept my stuff up in Calgary just for now uh, until I decide to fully move all my stuff down here, which is not going to be the funnest of drives. I've done it before, but... <laughs> I uh, wanted to keep it up there until I fully got situated. But I've always kept a condo down here throughout the years uh, when I was staying with WWE. Uh-huh. So it's been it's been really good, and uh, it's gained a lot of equity. And it's always been a place for me to stay when I'm down here. So it's it's uh, been definitely handy. What's that drive like from uh, Calgary all all the way down to Tampa? I mean, I've driven no, all, all through the states. It's horrible. But, yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I've only done the drive down. Over the years, we've always, when we moved back, we always flew back and then had a driver. Uh, but I've done the drive down twice, and it's a very long drive. I go through, uh, uh, sorry, the Saskatchewan border. Usually that's the quickest route. But whichever way you go, it's it's long and uh, tedious. But it usually takes about three to four days. And I'm talking like doing full 12-hour pedal to the metal days of driving with very little breaks. So... And then, you know, so I, I'm going with almost more close to three. It's better if you have someone driving with you that's entertaining to pass the time because it's, especially in the uh, Saskatchewan area, it gets really, really flat and, yeah. and boring. But Those, those uh, prairies. You know, so. <laughs> I've, uh, I used to play in this uh, Canadian, I guess, Celtic punk band called The Mudmen and uh, they had the bagpipes and everything. And we played all across Canada and, it was always fun driving from Toronto to Edmonton uh, for the first gig, and it was like 38 yeah. hours, just, you know, half the prairies, and you could fall asleep at the wheel, and when you woke up, you'd still be on the road. Yeah, <laughs> it's straight and that's flat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's for sure. So, Harry, you started in the wrestling business. What year was it? Well, Starbuck, I'm not sure if you had done any of these events, but I had first started... Uh, when we were, so me and my cousin, Matt, who's, uh, Matt Annis, who's Teddy Hart's, uh, younger brother, mm-hmm. we had decided to do an exhibition match at uh, an event called the Rockyford Rodeo. Mm-hmm. And it was every July 22nd and 23rd of every year. And even after Stampede Wrestling went out of business in 1990, Stu always kept the tradition of doing the, uh, once a, or I guess twice a year of the weekend of the Rockyford Rodeo. Rockyford, Alberta was about maybe two hours south of Calgary. Yeah. And it was kind of like a little, like a, uh, uh, like it almost like a native reservation, a small, 
small town, but they had a festival and then they had bull race, uh, excuse me, bull riding and, and horseback riding and a bunch of uh, carnival stuff throughout that weekend. So I know that there were some guys from, uh, you know, the CNWA and the, some of these other companies that were kind of running at that time that would, that would kind of work it. And it was kind of a fun get together for all the, uh, Southern Alberta boys, uh, to do. And Stu was, he still had his hands in it. It was, it was kind of a fun thing. What year usually was every this? year they, what they were still doing was Ross and Bruce or Bruce and Keith versus Gamma Singh and Jerry Morrow or, or, uh, Jerry Morrow and the Cuban assassin. Right. Right. So my, my debut was, uh, uh, excuse me, July of 1994 when I wrestled, uh, Matt Annis, Teddy Hart's younger brother. Oh, really? We, we debuted the same year. Damn it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I was January did you, did 7th. You? I was January 7th in the, at the Victoria Park Civic Center in uh, in Calgary against Lance Storm, my coach. Wow. Was that for Canadian Rocky Mountain? Yeah, that was for Rocky Mountain Pro. Yeah, that was uh, Beef Wellington and um, Ed Langley was running at that time. That's so funny. You know, it's a funny story, uh, Starbucks. Because we would watch some of that stuff on TV. Yeah. Um, and my, you know, before we, like, we were, you know, kids kind of playing in BJ's gym. And it, he had a, a boxing ring in there. And I remember Ted was always talking about us, like, <laughs> kind of sending our profiles and hoping that, you know, they would use us on a show. Maybe that uh, the uncles wouldn't know about it. And <laughs> Ted was talking about putting on a mask and working because they had TV and stuff, too, right? Yeah, they so, had local. It, it, never, it yeah. never came about, but that we always kind of talked about it and talked about you know, who we might be. And yeah. then I remember watching it years back. I think I'd watched the uh, Lance Storm and Jericho. They had a ladder match or something at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that. And then I had a, a couple of the episodes recorded. But if, you see, at that time, we were living in uh, Land of Lakes, Florida, which isn't too far from Tampa. And right. then we would fly back and forth every summer. Yeah. And then Davey and the family we moved back to calgary in the summer of 96 oh i got you but i think it was yeah kind of dying out by that point yeah i mean the thing is i was there i i started in 92 it was at the end of the summer at the beginning of the fall 92 so that's when steve DeSalvo, uh he was he was still at the helm then with beef wellington shane bauer uh and um i remember i walked into steve DeSalvo's realty office in calgary you know, I was gr- yeah. green as grass. I was 19 years old. And, you know, I'm an artist by trade, right? I'm a graphic artist. And, and okay. I, I had my, uh, I had my, my um, briefcase with me with my artwork inside. I went to his realty office. There's one thing I've never been short on, and that's gumption. I walked in there yeah. and, like, unannounced. I had called him before, though, you know, just to introduce myself. And he was kind of like, you know, just pes- pesky Mark, you know, whatever. And uh, I, yeah, I just showed up and, and I said, yeah, well, yeah, my name's Mike. I talked to you and uh, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just here for, to talk to you. You know, I, uh, you know, so anyway, he did closed up shop for the day. Everybody left the office. He's, he's locked in his little cubicle and he doesn't want to leave because he wants me to get the hell out of there. He, so he doesn't, he wouldn't have to like talk to me. That's <laughs> the funniest yeah. thing. I just stayed behind until he had to take me in. Right. So then he takes me in and I say, I give him my, uh, my pitch. I said, my name is Mike, you know, I, I'm an art, I'm an artist by trade. And 
man, here's my artwork here. And I was thinking that maybe I could draw pictures of the wrestlers for like the weekly programs or whatever. And, uh, you know, some yeah. way, some way to get into the wrestling business. And it's like, he didn't, that's not what he, what he saw in me. What he actually, what he heard was my voice. And then yeah. he figured that, okay, it's, you got a good voice. Uh, talk to Shane Bauer, AKA beef Wellington. And, uh, and beef is the guy that made me a television announcer and, uh, or TV commentator and, and also ring announcer. So that's how I started. I was, I was a TV commentator and a ring announcer at the, the, the fall of 92 all the way through 93. And then January 7th, 94, I got trained. So my other coach was Carl Moffat, Jason, the terrible. Uh-huh. And, mm. uh, and that's, yeah, that's, that's my beginning in the business. So, so who was your coach? Like who were the people that trained you? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> uh, it would have been Ross and Bruce initially. And, we were, we were like, so for our, my first exhibition match that I had with Matt and then every summer when I would come down to Calgary, mm. we would train for the summer and kind of plan out another exhibition match. So then the next year it was myself and TJ Wilson versus Teddy Hart and, uh, and his brother, Matt. Mm-hmm. And then the third year after that was the 96 when we moved back and unfortunately, uh, Teddy Hart's younger brother, Matthew, passed away. Mm, mm. So I will say this, you know, we were, although we were young kids, we didn't, we were never given, uh, you know, any, any huge leeway. We were always, the matches were going to be under five minutes. We weren't allowed to hit the ropes. Hmm. Going to do some basic wrestling. Cause, and honestly, I was too small even to hit the ropes. Cause you know, the stampede ropes were always mm. kind of higher as it was. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd have to kind of jump into them. But we, we kept it very, very basic and almost kind of believable, you know, where we had the, the, the finish as a, as a schoolboy roll-up or as a backslide. But, you know, Ross and Bruce, they were still uh, and still are fairly protective of the business. So there was, there was no real holes in it. It kind of looked like, like good kids doing some amateur wrestling with a little bit of pro wrestling. We do like a body slam. I don't even think we were allowed to do drop kicks or anything yet. No, no real forearms like uh, – like chops or punches, just forearm strikes. If we were allowed to do one, so it was kept. Uh, it was kept under pretty good rules and and kept pretty strict. We had and we had to follow those. You know, years later, <clears throat> when we were doing, we got allowed to do a couple more. And I think uh, Cranbrook or uh, Pincher Creek. That's where it was at. Mm-hmm. And Teddy decided because we were always practicing stuff in the ring, and he kept practicing doing the superplex mm-hmm. off the top. Mm-hmm. To, uh, and he did it to TJ, and te- and he kept asking my uncle Ross if he could do it, and Ross said no, no way, you know, because you guys are first on the card, and he wanted the the match to be very, very ground based, and I think he he did give Ted some leeway where he could do a backflip off the top and the the roll up afterwards, and Ted did that, and then we weren't allowed to, on shows for, I think it was a good year and a half. I, I we may have even missed the next Rocky for, and then huh. Ted at that point he was old enough. Uh, I think he started working some Can-Am. Well, he wasn't actually old enough technically, but he lied about his age being <laughs> under 18, but he was allowed to work the bar shows. And uh-huh. then uh, uh, someone ratted that out, and he was banned from those shows until he turned 18. And then I think Ross had told him that he needed – him and TJ both needed to get their high school diplomas until they were allowed back on shows. Mm. But it was all kind of stemming back to this superplex thing. But Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, kind of a – Kind of an interesting story. <clears throat> you know, it's funny because when Ted did the superplex, 
he was so insistent on him and TJ both doing it off the top rope because Dennis Herman and that uh, other kid named uh, Eric from Germany, I don't know if you remember them at all. Uh, vaguely. Really vaguely. Yeah, so they were – They he was um, Jürgen Herman's uh, nephew. Mm. Uh, Dennis, the, I think his name was the, the German pit bull or something like that. Okay. And they, they did a match. They were first on the card. They did a superplex off the second. And then when we did it off the top, everyone was just going like absolutely nuts. Like they couldn't believe <laughs> these kids were doing it. But, uh, you know, too bad. You know, I, I wish Starbucks after all these years that somebody or myself, we could have gotten a lot more of this recorded. But you always think that you're going to record the next one. But, you know, th- nobody had smartphones back then. It was no a pain in the ass to get a hold of video recorders and keep things on tape and yeah. you accidentally tape over things, but you, mm-hmm. you, you understand what oh, I mean. Oh yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Harry, when you're, you know, you, you grew up, I guess, in the, in this style of training and I, Starbucks as well, got kind of had to pay your dues and, you know, being allowed to only, you can't hit the ropes in your first uh, year or so, however long, you know, especially when you debut and, very uh, regulated as to, you know, the holes in the business and all that kind of stuff. But uh, these days, uh, a lot of the pro wrestling training is kind of, uh, you know, training how to do a high spot and uh, uh, sometimes, um, I guess, you know, do do as much as you can right away and, and uh, see what works, to see what sticks to the wall and what doesn't. Uh, what are your thoughts about, like, this kind of, I guess we'll call it an old school style of training where you kind of have to climb the ladder, pay your dues and that. I mean, we're not talking maybe, you know, breaking people's legs and see if they come back the next week. But, um, (laughs) you know, just kind of um, kind of given more of, I guess, teaching respect and all that in the business. Absolutely. You know, I think that's part of the problem with the wrestling business today. And everybody wants to jump. If you're going to learn the alphabet when you're a kid, everybody, of course, it's just by nature. Everybody wants to jump from A, B, C to X, Y to Z without miss, you know, with it, with missing all the in-between stuff. Cause they want to get to the, uh, they want to skip the main course and go to the, to the dessert <clears throat> as my coach, Billy Robinson would say. And I have a saying too, is that the long way is the best way. Yeah. And you really, uh, it's important to learn the basics of of everything, you know, if you go to a jujitsu school, of course, there's a lot of great guys that can do flying arm bars and flying triangle chokes and, you know, very advanced stuff in the gi with different variations of chokes. But you can't learn that on your first day. You have to learn how to shrimp. You have to learn how to stand up from off your back. You have to learn your basic sweeps. You have to learn. There's, there's a ton of different things. And you have to also be in shape or somewhat in shape for that sort of line of activity. But unfortunately, a lot of people nowadays, they don't know what they're doing and they're just in there to take the money from these students. And they don't, to be honest with you, most of them don't know their elbow from their asshole anyway, to be showing stuff. Yeah, but they are. And that's the problem. And the part of the problem is, is that in, it's not an insult on professional wrestling, but there's no laws or there's no, um, there's no real rules. It's not like, you know, to become a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu blue belt, you have to learn this sweep and that sweep, and you have to learn three different submissions, three different escapes from 
mount side mount case of Katami is like there's no there's no like there's no belt system which is fine but there's no actual rules mm. and it's not like uh, you know most of these places don't even have wrestling commissions anymore which no. is no almost yeah you know what i mean like you just you, so there's no there's no like laws or limitations you don't you don't have to be really in shape because you know you, there's there's just a lot but 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 that being said there are a lot of guys on the indies that are doing really good mm-hmm. and trying hard and some of them have gone the extra mile to attend the seminars and do really great things and have the passion and you know what it's it's always going to be that way but <clears throat> over the years because i think that uh, standards have dropped so much as far as getting into the business and training goes. That's kind of the issue with with it all, you know. So, yeah, the, um, the thing that I find that, like, that being said, it's, mm. it it is important, and you got to learn the basics of everything. And the basics are probably going to get you out of trouble in a lot of different ways. Like, say for instance, if you screw up a spot, mm-hmm. you know, you have to learn how to think on your feet and go to something basic, like grab the guy and do a proper snapmare and grab a chin lock and. Yeah. figure out where you're going to go next. But most of these people don't know any of that stuff. They're going to try to do the <clears throat> the same high spot again. And usually they're all confused and they're shooken up by screwing up that they're going to screw it up again and again. So that's the thing. That's like, what I got to say about that. I, I kind of find that like, and uh, tell me your own take on this, but I find that nowadays there are so many people getting into the wrestling business. Cause back in the day, it used to be like a mafia. It's like, I mean, you, you, yeah. you honestly, oh, I know. yeah, you had to know somebody to even like get, I mean, it's like, I remember calling Joe Daigo in Calgary. Yeah. He, and he was another one of my coaches yeah. later on in life, but yeah. Yeah. But I remember calling Tokyo Joe back in the summer of 92 and it's like, cause like I said, I was a persistent son of a bitch, you know, I mean, I was going to get in one way or another. I mean, I even yep. walked up to Stu's door, you know, Stu Hart's door. I mean, it's, I, I, I called him up. I said, Hey, my name's Mike. And uh, you mind if I drop by the house and have a chat with you? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was, I had gumption, man. And, and, uh, yeah. so I remember calling Joe Daigo and, and he was like, he tried to get rid of me on the phone. He said, call me in a year. You know what I did? I marked, me in a year. I, I marked down a year to the day. I called him one year to the day later. And then he just yeah. told me to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. But <clears throat> my point being <clears throat> so that nowadays, because wrestling has become such an open door policy, they're letting everybody in. It doesn't matter if you have athletic aptitude or if you don't it doesn't matter if you have like uh if you're a sportsman you're not or whatever if you're in shape or you're not and i find it so detrimental because it's like like back in the day i think the number one thing that it's almost like the way that i read it you know like in retrospect hindsight being 2020 it's the reason why they put you through the meat grinder and the reason why you're you know the coaches back in the day would maybe break your nose or break a rib or whatever and then just see if you came back is is they wanted to see if you were tough and i think that Stu, a lot of what Stu's approach was at least what i've heard uh, from guys like carl moffitt you know it's like you know he'd make you shit your pants he'd 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 stretch you that bad and uh the thing is that that I think that if if you are brought up with the mentality that it's first and foremost a fight, 
that you're not in there yeah. to play wrestler. And that's where like the, the schools nowadays are failing miserably because they're teaching guys and the girls, they're teaching them the spots and they're teaching them how to yeah. do just single moves and then string together a series of maneuvers. And that's not wrestling. Wrestling is a no. fight. And if you go into it with the mentality of, of this thing actually being a scrap and a fight, you're in there to fight for your life, then it's going to translate very differently to what we're seeing today. Uh, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, <clears throat> you know, when you were just talking about it being kind of like a, like a mafia or being in one of the Freemasons or something, it was, <laughs> it was kind of like that. You know, when I was a kid, I had a friend in uh, – elementary school named Aaron Kornhauser and he went to a, a house so they were doing a house show in Tampa WWF mm-hmm. and then we were going all the way down to I think it was Fort Myers yeah and Aaron he liked wrestling and I, I had to you know of course he would always like ask me if it was fake and I had to uh, you you know I always had to protect it but so the next day they, they were doing the same card and he was traveling with me because we were doing a sleepover that weekend and and then uh when he he showed up at the show. I, I asked, uh, cause Davey was wrestling Bam Bam Bigelow. And I said, what are you guys doing? tonight?" he goes, Oh, we're just going to do the same thing. <laughs> and I said, okay. I, I go, I go during the show. I said, can I introduce Aaron to some of the wrestlers mm. like backstage? Like if they can come out, mm-hmm. he goes, why? He goes, I said, yeah, but if he watches and you guys are doing the same exact matches every from yesterday, he's going to know that it's, and then he said, "Oh, you're very smart." And we did that. And I had to, I had to keep Aaron from pretty much the whole show. He goes, "Why don't you want to watch the matches?" I said, "Oh, you know." And then he asked, <laughs> "He goes, well, what happened with Davy and Bam Bam?" I said, "Oh, Davy beat him again. Bam Bam's not very good. He's he's going to get fired soon. He's just he's not a he's not a very good wrestler. He just keeps losing." Like I just had to because they were doing the same match. So I yeah yeah. But I had to, I had to be smart and protect the business myself like that as a kid you know but because mm-hmm. um, if he had watched it he would have watched the exact same match and you know what fort myers was a good five hours away from tampa so mm-hmm. you know that's natural you know it's not like it's close but those guys were they had a hard schedule in those days geez they were on the road 300 days a year man yeah so you can understand that they're almost like just rehashing that match and perfecting the match so that they're they're banking on the fact that before the age of the internet people are not going to know they're not going to be smart to it that they're doing the same match over and over and over again in different towns yeah oh yeah you know in, in starbuck there was a funny story about my trainer tokyo joe mm. so this was by the time this was like 2006 mm. so he had pretty much had been retired and i and his uh his days with new japan were finished i guess he had resigned from his position there as a trainer mm-hmm. and there was a guy that came up to calgary from toronto named will hunter Mm-hmm. And this kid was, he had really something seriously wrong with him mentally, but, uh, he had showed up and he had been trained by a friend of Ted's or uh, excuse me, a friend of Joe's named, uh, Ted Herbert. Hmm. And he was an African American wrestler that wrestled in Japan with Joe. Hmm. And then he had called Joe and he said, Oh, Hey Joe, there's this kid named Will Hunter. He wants to train with you. He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, yeah, he's good size. He goes, Oh yeah. He goes, yeah, but Joe, watch out for this kid. He's got, he's back. He's got something wrong with him. He goes, oh, okay, I, I, I hear you, Ted, thank you. And then I told Joe about it. He goes, yeah, Joe, Joe goes, yeah, I heard about this boy. He goes, hey, tell him I die already. <laughs> and then I was like laughing. And then the next time I saw Joe, I said, Joe, this guy, Will Hunter, because that's why Will came all the way to the gallery was to train with Joe. Yeah. And I told him again, Joe goes, no, tell him I die already. Please don't give him my number. Tell him I'm dead. <laughs> and funny enough, throughout all the years, 
Will never ever did meet Joe, and Joe unfortunately did pass away. So, but that mm-hmm. was Joe's mentality. He's he was really stubborn that way. So, so Harry, uh, you you talked about like uh, this big uh, jujitsu interest, I guess that you have, and you know, I guess you did that that blood sport, Josh Josh Barnett's blood sport um, uh, game changer wrestling produced uh, show where. We, we were talking a lot about this idea with the ropes being taken off and uh, just having the actual, uh, the mat, uh, I guess, uh, kind of more like a like a blood sport. And what was it like being there and, and what is it like to wrestle without the, the ropes? And, you know, because that's, I guess it got into a very shoot style situation there. You know what? I thought it was a really cool atmosphere. And luckily, like, the arena that we were at, the GCW has, it's kind of like a dark arena, and then it's uh, it's not very long, but it, it, it's high, and it's got a second balcony, so it's got that kind of, like, that ECW Elks Lodge feel to it. Oh, yeah. Where, that, where there's, like, you can just feel the atmosphere, and it's really dark, too, which I think helped with that. I think that if it was in one of those, you know, if it was in a high school gym with all the lights on, it wouldn't have given that same appeal, right? Right. But I really liked the idea. It was kind of different being in the ring because, like, you're like, it's almost like you want to go hit the ropes or something, but there's there are no ropes, right? Yeah. Mm. And like, and then you're almost kind of scared, like when you get suplexed or something, because you you know when right before you're gonna flip over, you have your head up and then you tuck it. Then you're kind of worried that you might get thrown out of the ring or something. But after a few minutes, you get used to it. I liked it because. The rules were different, you know, it was, there was, there weren't rope escapes, but I wanted to play it off as like, you get a submission, but like if I get a sharpshooter and we roll all the way to the outside and the hold gets broken sometime or somehow we have to start over again in the ring. It's not like we have to start over, uh, in the same submission hold. We got to start over standing again, which I think was cool. Maybe they could play with that. Um, again in the future and then they had like a standing 10 count and uh no pins just it was i think it was believe it was all submissions all right so it was really cool i really liked my match with killer cross i want to put it up there as being one of my favorite matches i've had and we just worked we just clicked you know we didn't have to go in there and we didn't have to uh you know talk about it for a whole weekend we just i knew what he did and he knew what i did and Came out with the Crippler crossface as a finish, which I think added to everything. And, you know, to get a submission hold over, you got to get it over strong and make sure that, you know, nobody gets out of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start to build off it. Like like Taz's Taz submission. Mm-hmm. submission. Yeah. And I think even towards the end, Benoit was, was kind of letting it flutter too much. And to be honest with you, the sharpshooter has been done by so many guys nowadays that it's it's turned into the. It's, it's hard to get put over as being a believable submission unless Brett's doing it or Natty maybe, but it's like uh, the, so, the super kick of it, the it's, submission. It's good world. to to show honor and do it, but uh, it's just kind of been overdone. So I think that's important too. Is when whenever you have a, a favorite hold or submission, you got to really protect that for a long time until you know, and still protect it because you know that that's how you get it over. So, like, what's your opinion, by the way, on, like, modern-day wrestling? You look back, like, let's say 20 years, and we had moves like, let's say, a DDT. Now, in, in, in the real world, 
you get dropped on the top of your head, it's it's game over. It's like you're just not getting up. I mean, that's that's a no brainer for anybody. It's if you get dropped on your head, it's it's the end of the match. Uh, nowadays, it's like these moves, like like Dylan was saying a second ago, the super kick is just so overdone. It used to be Shawn Michaels' finishing move. Now everybody does it, and it's just it's just another transition. It doesn't mean anything. So what? How do you see this? Like, where has wrestling gone, and how do you fix this problem nowadays, where the credibility of of guys taking these like like considerably how could you say like potentially dangerous maneuvers, which should be the, like match enders, and they're just like basically just using them as transitions to move on to the next the next part of the match. How do you fix this problem? Well, the way how you fix it is you make the matches uh, more basic and less complicated. I understand that as the years go on, that standards do have to get higher. Like, say, for instance, All Japan. There was a big difference between All Japan in the 70s and All Japan in the 90s. Mm. But, however, all those guys that were doing the work in the 90s, they were their basics were always very good. And they were... They had boots and they had trunks and they were all good wrestlers. Yeah. But nowadays you have a bunch of guys that are they're missing all the basics and they're having to slap their leg on every single hold or a move or snap their fingers to make a noise uh, (laughs) just to get it, to get a pop. Right. And I don't think that that's a good thing. So I, what I think is that it could be, the shows could be, and this is something I agree with, with my uncle Bruce is that the, the shows can be a lot more less complicated and just keep it as, as, as clean finishes and then build sort of off that. But everybody wants to have all these, you know, fuck finishes and ref getting knocked out and this and that. Where <clears throat> I think you can, if you're starting it over, you got to have to start over basic and build things stronger. And somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. Somebody has to lose, but still keep them strong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not just in that there's, there's a way to do things in that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people just don't know how to do that. Unfortunately, they just, but everybody wants to make things way, way more to way more complicated than they are. You know what I mean? And why is that? It's just, I, you know what, it's just, it, you know what, it's because they want to work harder, but what I think that they could do is they could work harder in different ways, like improving their footwork in the ring, mm-hmm. uh, do something that's, that's new and original or do something old that's not been done in a long time. Yeah, you know what's old is new. Also, yep. So I think that if people just kept it le- less complicated, because also the human brain and the the current fans, I know that they they're very smart to the business and they know a lot about it. But at the same time, when you feed them too much, it's also hard for them to digest. And I feel that sometimes they forget a lot of the good stuff because you do way too much, and then they see one bad thing, and then they go, oh, geez, well, they just remember the bad thing out of the, mm-hmm. the whole match. So I think that keeping things solid, no uh, miss spots, it, even if you miss it, if you recover, okay. But I hate this where you go to punch a guy and it misses by five inches, and the guy still sells it, and you know, it just, it just people remember that over all the good stuff. So keep everything snug and solid and more basic. And try to, instead of doing 15 things that are cool, do five or your really good things and go out there and tell a story. You know, that's, that's it. That's, that's what I tell people all the time, but you just touched on something that I just want to like briefly uh, get into for a second punching. Now, um, 
is there's so few people in the professional wrestling industry today that can throw a believable, good punch. Why is that, in your opinion? Uh, well, they just haven't been. They just haven't been shown. Honestly, I, I can throw a pretty decent right hand. I'm not a good jabber, so I don't throw a jab unless if it's for real. I can. I can. I can throw a good one, but I'm I'm a natural right hander with with punching and uh, with uh, everything. So a lot of it is um, there's different styles of punching, and you have to find what style's right for you. Some people like The Rock; they can throw a good one that's with snap. I know he slaps his leg, but mm-hmm. it works for him. Hunter throws a pretty good punch. His is a little different. I actually like Bret Hart's punches. Yeah, that's the, because of the rubber mallet. The way how he, th- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and uh, Steve Williams, Doctor Death, I, I really liked his right hand. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, but it's just it's all in the way how you gotta learn how to almost like where you're. Um, it's a lot of wind back to it, mm-hmm. and it's almost like where you're throwing a baseball yep. uh, or uh, like a softball. You have to get that kind of wind back, or you can, but you don't want to keep it too short. But mm-hmm. you want to also. Uh, do it properly without hurting the guy and making contact. And there's a good way I can show you how I punch, but it, I have to show it to you in person. It's yeah. hard to explain. That's it. I usually but it's just it's just because people haven't been shown, and then they they watch somebody throw a punch, and it's just like the blind leading the blind, you know. It's it's like I usually when I teach guys, and I've been teaching guys since 2003, like in six different countries. Now I teach them five different styles of punching. And, yeah, and and one of them is the Bret Hart style. One of them is yeah. the uh, Ted DiBiase style. One of them yeah. is the Jerry Lawler style. And mm-hmm. then there's a couple of different, uh, like the Terry Funk, for example, style. And then there's one other one that I show them too. But it's it's like uh, what I find is that I think personally with this newer crop of wrestlers that because when they when they lowered the fence, like when they let everybody in. The problem was yeah. that they let in people who had no business being in the in the wrestling business where where you had people who were so uncertain of themselves that they had no self-confidence. And when you have yeah. somebody who has no self-confidence then start throwing punches, what they're afraid of is they're afraid of hurting the other person and they're afraid of hurting getting hurt themselves. And that's the problem where if you have that fear of of injury or you have that uncertainty or that like whatever that you don't commit to what it is that you're doing uh it it never translates well that's when you're playing wrestler you're not actually a wrestler you're just playing wrestler and that's the that's where i think that wrestling has gone wrong is that if you're gonna punch somebody it's like terry funk said once he had you know he wrote his book called more than hardcore about 20 years ago and he said that that uh when you see me going crazy in the ring, you have to understand I really am going crazy. When it looks like I'm hurting yeah. in the ring, you have to understand I really am hurting. And and that's the whole thing is like taking it right to the edge, but not going over. And that's what I think where so few people nowadays get it is because they treat wrestling like an exhibition. They treat this like just... Uh, it's just a series of spots. We're just going to go out there and show them our shit. And then, you know, we're just going to go home. And that's where it's like, no... That's not what this game is about. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I, I personally believe that you, we have to take this thing back. We have to reclaim uh, wrestling like more of what the old school was. And uh, you had a really impo- like uh, an interesting idea where like you have to do less. You have to like strip away 
more than like instead of adding on. And I agree with you. Yeah, and and my thing is like everybody says less is more, which is which is true. And I'm not, and it's not that you want to cheat the fans from coming back next week. And my quote is there's quality over quantity mm-hmm. and i think that that explains it better you know so and you know like my uncle bruce used to do if there was like a couple young kids down in the basement they were scared to hit each other uh he'd get one of us or one of the older veterans or someone like that we do chop practice and then he if someone was scared he'd have uh them fucking slap each other in the face and then after that they were <laughs> They're pretty good. A lot less afraid, and then they they were we could start to get it that hey we're not you know we're we're here to make contact and we're here to make money, but we're not here to you know kill each other because we have to do it every night. But we're not going to get it anywhere by uh, hitting each other like pansies. So there you usually go. that fixed things, and then you sometimes guys didn't didn't really like it. It wasn't for them, so then they left. But that's that's the way it is, and that's the way you find out. So. That's it. I mean, uh, a lot of a lot of things are, are like that. I mean, you go to write a, a test for to get into a university, and and you might find out uh, that you that you don't have the chops for that particular field or whatever, so you don't go there. You go somewhere else. But uh, I wanted to ask yeah. you about uh, major league wrestling because uh, you're lighting it up there right now. I guess with uh, 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 the new Hart Foundation, it, it seems, with uh, Teddy Hart and Brian Pillman Jr. Legit. I mean, this is uh, this is quite cool. And um, you've been all over the place, right? You've been in WWE, World of Sport, Stampede, of course. We talked a lot about that. New Japan Pro Wrestling. You're uh, even in, in NOAA there as well. And, I mean, you're really highly decorated. And, um, you know, to be in kind of this MLW, which I know it's been around for a while, but it's it, right now it seems to be, at least in the last two years, it's it's gotten this like fire underneath it, and it's been a really big, I guess, spotlight. Uh, I wouldn't call it an indie uh, indie uh, wrestling company at all. Um, it just, I guess, is not uh, having the TV uh, spot as like a WWE or this AEW coming up in October kind of thing. But uh, MLW seems to be making a hell of a lot of noise with some incredible wrestlers. So, tell us what it's like working there, and um, and I guess uh, you know what is that all about? MLW Major League <clears throat> Wrestling. Yeah, for sure. So I first started with Major League Wrestling in 2004, and my partner Tyson Kidd and myself, TJ Wilson, we were the Stampede Bulldogs at the time, and Teddy Hart was down there, and another wrestler named Jack Evans, and we were trying to start the Heart Foundation 2.0 at the time. Unfortunately, Court uh, let the company go, and he wanted to do some other things. He and he wound up becoming hired by WWE as a writer. And I worked with Court a little bit when he was a part of the writing team in 2006 or 2007. And then he left, and years later he reopened Major League Wrestling about a year or two ago. And he had contacted me and gotten in touch, and he had an idea about restarting the new heart foundation because brian pillman jr had come onto the scene and it was my idea to do stuff with teddy hart as well because of the natural chemistry and he was a free agent as well and uh you know it's so far it's been a really great experience court has been awesome with me and so has conan there's been a lot of good guys to work with they have a lot of great talents and they sign people to actual contracts so you know that 
when their shows are, what you're getting paid, and you know that the company's you know going to be around. So that's a good thing. And uh, you know, I have a show coming up on July 25th against Timothy Thatcher in New York, and Timothy is a great catch wrestler, and I've trained with him at Josh Barnett's gym uh, for mixed martial arts. I think it's going to be a really, really awesome match. A lot of fans are looking forward to it. But so far, Court has, like I said, he's been great with us, but he's also listened to me, which has been a good thing because I do know what I'm talking about. And everybody seems to think that they know the answers, but they're not as smart as that they actually think that they are. So Court's listened to me on a lot of things. And it's been a fun project where it's almost kind of like the old ECW where you're a part of it, but you know, you're what you're wanting to see the company grow along with yourself and along with your peers and other people in the company as well. And it's it, taking it on as a new project. And I believe court has big plans for me uh, in the heavyweight title division as well. So that's something to look forward to. And the great news is, MLWs with BN Sports, they've signed a TV contract with them, and they are now airing over in the UK and Ireland as well. All right. So that's huge for me because I've got a big fan following in the UK, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they're looking at going over to Israel and some other places as well. So I, I think that the sky's the limit with them. You know, they just they just have to do things uh, step by step, do, do the right things. And you know what? So far, they've been their storylines have been pretty good. They've been keeping up with them, and uh, I think that you know, sky's the limit for them. So I'm very excited about the future with Major League Wrestling. Uh, speaking of England, though, uh, you were just about maybe it was it over a year ago. Now you're on that World of Sport relaunch. You had a match against Will Osprey. Why do you think that yeah. wor- that World of Sport relaunch didn't quite work out? What's the thing there? Well, part of the problem was, um, I think that there were some budget issues mm. and I, I know that they put a lot of money. I like, I heard something ridiculous, like close to a million dollars on that set. I, how they, they did that. I don't know, but that, that was what I was told. And that don't like, I, that was just what I was told. So I don't know if they used up all that money towards that, mm-hmm. but See, the problem was was that their first taping that they had when they had me come in as a surprise in the Battle Royal and they had Jim Ross, mm-hmm. it, the, 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 I think part of the problem was was that they lost Jim Ross and then also they, they should have just made me the world champion. I'm not trying to sound like a big head or anything, mm-hmm. but what my idea, my idea was was that Will Ospreay and I, we have a feud on the show – like a, like a series of matches, mm-hmm. and I I turn heel on him because mm-hmm. nobody would expect it, and then he wins at the very end. But they didn't want to do it because they said that whoever the, was on the creative team wanted to have me team with Grado and win the tag belts. And I said that's fine, but you, you see, you guys are putting the world championship belt. I don't even know what the guy's name was. He he wasn't a bad wrestler though, but he he looked good, but he just didn't have a name. Mm. And you know, I know that they were trying to push somebody, but. Sometimes you have to put the title on a name person first to give them that publicity. Yeah. And that's what I thought that they should have done was have me win it. And then I lose it to Will and I turn heel. But they, and then also they had lost Jim Ross, which was a huge thing too, because he's got a big name value. And also he could have been a part of the producing team. And Jim Ross was 
he was on the same page as me on that with putting me at the world title on me. But I, I unfortunately, I didn't have the pencil and eraser there to, to do that. Mm. But that's what I would have done, you know, and I think it would have gotten over bigger. I mean, had it with, I'm not sure what the issue was with the, the amount that they spent on the, the lighting and production, but if that was an issue, I'm not sure. And then they talked about doing, uh, some live shows over there, but they weren't going to do any fly-ins. It was just going to be the local talent, mm. which is hard to do sometimes also because, you know, who do they have over there? That's, that's a name that's, that's able to do it. Like Zack Sabre and Will Ospreay and these other guys are doing stuff with New Japan or uh, not living in the UK. You know, it's, it, it's tough. So oh, that's tough. you yeah. have to spend mm. money to make money sometime on mm-hmm. talent mm-hmm. and, uh, that's that that's it and i i think maybe they had blown their money on the production value i i do hope that they come back again someday but i'm not i'm not holding my breath on it uh i that would be certainly great but i'm not sure i haven't been in touch with alex or any of the the producers from world of sport mm-hmm. uh as of late but i haven't heard anything so i'm assuming nothing's coming up what about this aew would you be interested in working with them or would you want to go back to vince someday uh, I would like to work with AEW. So here's here's the problem, is that um, because I'm signed to Major League Wrestling, I, I am si- signed to a contract there in in uh, respect to court. I think that they would let me do appearances on AEW and work on AEW. They just, I think there's a double-edged sword there where they don't want, oh, geez, let's just say, for instance, in hindsight, like let's say if I won the world title for MLW mm. and if I go on to AEW's TV mm. and they don't know what to do with me or if I'm in a meaningless role or I'm having to put somebody over it just doesn't make the MLW company look good mm-hmm. now that being said my idea is that if AEW's able to do something in a positive productive and uh, influential role for myself, Brian Pillman Jr. and Teddy Hart as mm-hmm. the new Hart Foundation to come on to AEW mm-hmm. and feud with the Bucks or somebody like that, mm-hmm. where we're where we're being showcased and it's good for AEW and it's good for MLW. Mm-hmm. I think that would be great. I'm just not sure because I don't know who's on the writing team there. I don't know what their idea would be. Like, like I I probably could have went and approached AEW and just been in that battle royal. But, you know, would, would that have really meant anything? Oh, like Harry, just... Harry, that would have been horrible because the thing is that battle royal is one of the worst things I ever saw. <laughs> yeah. Th- <laughs> see, there you go. Thank you. And and that was my thing. Was And I'm I'm still waiting to see how things are going to unfold with AEW um, because I've seen lots of good stuff and I've seen some not so good stuff, to be perfectly honest with you. But I will say this. Jim Ross has been very, very keen on me coming to AEW. And Jim Ross has been a longtime friend of mine, and uh, he's very, very positive and very, very. Um, he's he's definitely been wanting me to to come up aboard, but I don't think I can sign anything like full time because of the MLW deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do want I do have interest in it. I'm just kind of weighing things out. I would like to go back to WWE eventually as well, but I at the same time I don't want to go there in a meaningless role that doesn't or just be another guy that's you know eating catering there every week and not uh, mm. on tv but getting a paycheck because these are important years of my career right now that i want to do something great with my career mm-hmm. and uh 
I think with MLW, that would be that's that's kind of what my focus is on. And like Donald Trump said, sometimes you have to little bit momentum leads to big momentum, which leads to big things. So I wouldn't want to just leave MLW tomorrow and cancel my contract because WWE offers me something and then I'm, you know, kind of sitting on the uh, sitting on the bench waiting for something. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. I just kind of screwed up something there while, while all the money may be good, but that's not really my uh, focus on right now. It's it's um, what's going to be good for my career and then in the long term. So to answer your question, yes, I am interested in all of them and I am interested in AEW, but WWE might be for the future somewhere down the road. So, I mean, I really liked what you said about MLW kind of being this new ECW because I, I definitely yeah. got that feeling from from those uh, those events that I saw and uh, just they're they're quite a bit more gritty in a good way. I think um, you know that was one of the shining, oddly to say, the the shining parts of ECW was that it had this like gritty. A uh, very real sport of, uh, and like just kind of nasty uh, image, and uh, in a very good way, I th- which I think professional wrestling lacks in a lot of areas. This kind of gritty fight atmosphere, and uh, you can have all the flips and the and the really spectacular hyper athletic uh, moves, but when you have like a real deal fight going on, you know, with and you're not afraid of some blood and guts, it's like. To me, that's that's pro wrestling. Kind of feels more MLW feels more old school in my opinion, but uh, with that new school kind of I guess uh, abilities, you know, with the the ath- athletic ability. But um, I wanted to touch on uh, Japan with you because you have done extensive, uh, I guess, Japanese runs and, and been a quite a and are quite a big star in Japan. Would that be? a place that you'd be interested to go back to, say, uh, like you're a big deal in New Japan and in NOAA and all that. So tell us your experiences and, and your thoughts on, on Japan. Uh, yeah, um, for sure I can explain that. So it's kind of no secret at this point, but I'm <clears throat> no longer with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I had to uh, basically quit the company earlier this year. Uh, you know, it was it was just one of those deals where Unfortunately, the booking office um, didn't want to, I guess, extend or want to expand on anything past the tag team that Lance Archer and I were a part of called Killer Elite Squad. Mm-hmm. And I had been there in New Japan for a number of years and did some stuff in NOAA when we went. Uh, we got sent to NOAA by New Japan to help uh, build up their business. Mm-hmm. And you know, I did outside of the tag team with Lance. I did a lot of great work with New Japan in the 2013 and 2014 G1 climaxes as a singles wrestler, and I think I really turned a lot of heads. I don't know why New Japan never wanted to do more with me as a singles wrestler, other than there was some kind of a personal agenda against me uh, with one of the people in the office on the booking team. Hey, that's out of my hands. I All I did there was I did my best. I trained my hardest. Uh, Lance Archer and I, we did a lot of great business over there. We were a gr- really good tag team. Uh, unfortunately, I felt that the tag team this year with Lance had kind of expired. And we had won the New Japan tag team titles 
I think it was like five times or something like that since 2013. And we were also two-time NOAA Tag Team Champions as well. And we had won the NWA Tag Titles when we were New Japan was doing business with NWA. But that had kind of ran out. And they had told me that they were only going to give me four tours a year, which that was all that they gave me last year. And it was just, and I mean tours being, you go in for the Tokyo Dome, you do the New Japan Cup, that's two weeks. You have another tour in June and then the Tag League and that's it. So it's it's not even like, it's not like you're there a month at a time, money-wise. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I, they had been dealing with Ring of Honor uh, quite a bit. And I had done a little bit of work with Ring of Honor through New Japan. But it was only when New Japan, like, would ask ring of honor for us to work or we were in conjunction with it so i think that they maybe got a little bit mad when i signed with mlw but i put it in my mlw clause that new japan got uh first rights and they were first dibs on anything and that included if new japan asked me to do a ring of honor event that would be totally fine so there was no issues with that but unfortunately with the japanese everything seems to get uh, lost in translation and taken out of context like mm. you know if they see i sign with mlw they think that that means that i i, I quit that their company or you even though that's what it happened eventually or that i didn't want to work with ring of honor i tried to explain that to them a number of times and i wasn't really happy with my position that new japan had me in booking wise this year Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had me in some silly matches with a guy named Yano mm-hmm. and me and Yano and myself, we have terrible chemistry in the ring with each other. And that's been noted. I don't know why that they kept trying to push me to wrestle him unless if it was a rib or they just didn't care, but I did try my best and Yano was pretty lazy in those matches mm. and very uninspiring and not really willing to give me, give me his best anyway. So, you know, and I told new Japan that, in a long story short, that I would rather go to the WWE Hall of Fame than be on the uh, New J- the Ring of Honor show that they were doing in Madison Square Garden the same night. Mm-hmm. And that was only because every time I would ask they would if I was going to be on the Ring of Honor event, they would say, well, we don't know, well, we don't know, well, we'll let you know. Or I said, guys, we're going up three weeks until this event, and you still don't know if we're on this or not. Mm. And I said, I would rather be go and see my uncle Jim be inducted in the hall of fame than be in a throwaway match or be thought of as an afterthought. And they got kind of mad about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing was, was I, I had been contacted by impact wrestling uh, last year to come and work for them. And Don Callis, I think being a fellow Canadian, he had a big push in line for me. Mm-hmm. And when I had asked new Japan about coming and doing work for them, because they were only giving me four tours a year mm-hmm. They were. They went like, they all of a sudden go. Oh, you don't want to quit and work for those guys. They they no good. And Jim fucking Jeff Jarrett. And I said, well, Jeff Jarrett's not even the part of uh, Impact anymore. No, no, no. Well, they treated Okada bad or whatever. It's like, so I said, okay, that's fine. I wanted to ask your permission, and that's okay. And then Lance Archer, my partner, he went and sent an email to the new uh, president named Harold Meiji, mm-hmm. and he had asked about uh future tours for us and if there was any way that they could improve or um you know make give kes uh improve our work kes's workload and he goes oh well i thought you guys were done because harry was going to impact Mm -hmm. and he didn't know anything about my conversation with gato or or jato and then i said 
I told Lance, I said, well, you know, they, they had approached me, but they wanted me to come in as a singles baby face and because they're doing t- uh, TVs in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then I had to message Harold and say, no, I still am a part of New Japan. I didn't ever said that I was quitting to go to Impact, but mm-hmm. it was just so much of this lost, Gato either lied or exaggerated, but it was just so much of this lost in translation stuff. Mm-hmm. And my last tour there, um, I wasn't happy about the way things went. Uh, luckily, New Japan was nice enough for me to work for another company called real japan pro wrestling which is satoru sayama's group the Mm -hmm. original tiger mask Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he was doing a dynamite kid tribute show and they had asked new japan they didn't even ask me they asked new japan if they could use me and they reluctantly said yes and uh it was weird it was like i was going there to do a show for dynamite like as a tribute but it was almost like i got heat over it from new japan but it wasn't my decision to like you know, i was asked and they said yes but mm-hmm. because there was some heat with hattori and this guy named shima that was, used to work with new japan years ago and you know guys were it was just it was like it was like they were trying to like job me out before mm. appearing on this match which i did a really great match with me and the new super tiger versus masakatsu funaki and kenzo suzuki and I won with the diving headbutt in, in honor of Dynamite at Corican Hall, and it was a really great emotional night for me. But it was weird. It was like uh, it was like I got heat over it somehow. Wow. Like everyone was pissed off that I was working for them. I was like, well, guys, I'm just I'm here to to honor my uncle, the Dynamite Kid. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. something that I think New Japan should have done a better job with. But anyway, I don't want to keep on that for too long. All I'll say is that it just wasn't working out with them and I and unfortunately i didn't have the pencil and the eraser i was still working my hardest but at the same time i felt like i could have gone to the ring and shaved my head like the nasty boy brian knobs and started working like nails or Mm. working like giant gonzalez and they still would have used me the exact same way because that's the way it is and they don't Mm. let things happen more organically there Mm -hmm. and tough luck on them and i wish them all the best maybe i'll go back someday uh maybe not Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I got to worry about myself for now and my career, and I can't wait on anybody else. So I got to make things happen for myself, and I had I had to leave because I had to look at other options. And another one was AEW, and they said no to that too. So it's mm-hmm. like you want to use me, but you only use me for four tours a year, and I can't do anything else. Yeah, and you don't want to use me right or publicize me, so I got to leave. So that was that. No, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I got to say, Harry, I mean, I, I like what I'm hearing because the thing is what I think maybe it's this Canadian thing, but the thing is that I sense a lot of it, uh, of what you're saying. I can like almost parallel to my own character and to the way, to the way that I am myself, because I, I, I almost like I'm vicariously almost living through what you're saying here in a lot of ways. I'm not saying that I can like draw direct cross parallels to to your situation, but the thing is that I can I, I definitely feel your vibe. I can feel your like what you're saying here, and, and I I kind of sense that you're not the kind of guy that likes to play politics. No, I'm definitely not. You know, I I don't like to play politics. I do. I like to work hard. Um, you know, my thing is. Uh, if you don't have passion, you don't have energy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have energy, you got nothing. So you got to have passion for what you're doing. Yep. And you got to do what's uh, you got to do what's right for you. And you know, I had talked to my friend Johnny Ace, John Laronitis, mm-hmm. and he gave me lots of good advice because he had told me because I told him I wanted to announce 
you know, on the internet that I had quit New Japan and I told my situation and I knew Johnny had worked in Japan for years Mm -hmm. and Johnny's a very smart businessman and Mm -hmm. he's a very good politician actually, but, um, to get his advice and he, and he said, no, he goes, you know what? He goes, he goes, don't quit. He goes, don't quit. New Don't announce that you quit New Japan. He goes, if you got AEW, you got impact. If you got your contract with MLW, he goes, just let it be known through the grapevine, just telling people that you got these other offers. He goes, and then if New Japan is serious and they want to bring you back, you tell them, you go, well, I want this. I want more tours and I want more money. Otherwise, I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. He goes, if they decide to announce that that uh, they that you're gone, he goes, then you can announce that you quit. Mm-hmm. So I basically had, had, had done that. And Johnny told me that years ago in 96 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that he had been approached by WWE mm-hmm. and – he told me that he didn't ask Baba about if he could work for WWE. And he told me that I made a mistake by that. And he said, he said, you don't ever ask the Japanese for anything. Mm-hmm. He goes, you, he goes, uh, he goes, he, you have to do it smart. He goes, you have to let it be known. You have to tell somebody something. And he said, it was all of a sudden it was like in the wrestling observer and something else <clears throat> that WWE was interested in hiring Johnny Ace. And he said he came back to that next tour of Japan. He said he got off the bus and Baba had his head down. And then Johnny asked what was wrong. He goes, oh, I heard you're going to WWE. And he goes, well, who's that? He goes, well, I never said that. And, and then they had a talk. And then Johnny said, well, if you want me to stay, I need uh, I need a pay and bump and raise. And he goes, okay, you got it. And he shook his hand. He gave him a bump and pay. And then Johnny stayed there until 2000. And then he retired and became a uh a producer for WCW, but that's just to say, you know, there's different ways to do business with people, mm-hmm. but I did learn with the Japanese, you can never ask them anything like that. You you have to, you have to do it smart because it just, things get lost in translation and there's so many politics. Like mm-hmm. I had never told Harold that I was quitting and going to impact or t- told that to Gato. I, I, I asked permission and he said, no. And I said, okay, fair enough. I would like to stay with you guys who just, I want more tours and they weren't willing to do that. So I had to leave, you know? Well, Harry, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you here on Shooting the Shizad. I mean, this is one of the best interviews I think Dylan will agree that we've ever done. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I have to say that I'm a a big fan and all that, get the fanboy stuff out of the way, but um, I've always been really impressed at the work that you do, and uh, I mean... The family that you come from, it, it's it's odd that the wrestling is so so much in, in the blood there that uh, just everybody seems to be just uh, quite on the, the amazing level. And uh, it's really impressive. And I'm happy that you have this the attitude that you do and are going to be able to teach the, the younger generation as well and, like, uh, pass that on. But um, what was uh, was there anything else you wanted to add, uh, plug something that you have coming up before uh, we got to let you go? No, you know what? I will say this. I have been talking to other Japanese organizations, and I can't disclose any of that information as of yet because nothing's signed, sealed, and delivered. But I do want to thank my Japanese fans, and I will be back in Japan. Uh, very, very soon, hopefully. Uh, thank you to the fans all across the world and in North America that have been tuning into MLW each week. I hope that they get a chance to watch my match with Timothy Thatcher. I think that that's going to be an excellent match mm-hmm. and a strong style. And I think that 
people should tune into Major League Wrestling to see everybody else because there's a whole lot of talent that's really, really great there as well. Um, yeah, and thank you guys for having me on uh, the podcast. It was a lot of fun. Sorry for the delay today, but I'm glad that we got it done. And I hope to come over and uh, come up overseas, cross the pond, and work for you again, or work for you uh, sometime, Starbuck. Yeah, we'd love to, love to have you here for Slam Wrestling Finland, and uh, and I will definitely keep you in the loop, and uh, hopefully we'll get something worked out in uh, at least in 2020, if not this year in 2019. Alrighty, sounds great. And uh, for anybody that wants to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, they are both at DB Smith Jr. And uh, uh, thank you guys for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. All right, we hope to have you back someday, and uh, God bless you. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Thanks, Starbuck. Thanks, yep. Dylan. Skip is the oldest sports supplement brand out of Europe since the 1970s. Engineered by professors, doctors, and scientists at Sweden's leading medical university, Karolinska Institute, Skip products are pharmaceutical grade, meaning that they are the highest quality available on the market today. Meaning they work. If you're after results, you wouldn't put low-octane gas in a turbocharged high-end sports car engine, would you? Neither would you put junk-quality supplements into your body as an athlete. All Skip products are first tested amongst top athletes to ensure their efficiency. Choose the best. Skip Nutrition. That's skip.fi. S-K-I-P dot F-I. Estrada Creative Helsinki. Your brand and story with the strength of modern marketing. Social media gets your brand and message in your audience's hands, and your story with the boost of marketing and videography is your strongest means of persuasion. That's where Estrada Creative Helsinki gets involved. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Estrada Creative Helsinki. Marco Simonen offers photography and video production for business and marketing. In addition, editorial and portrait work welcome. For more, see marcosimonen.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-S-I-M-O-N-E-N.com. All right, that was Harry Smith, Davy Boy Smith Jr. Absolute pleasure having him here on the program, shooting the shizat with myself and Starbuckerino. What did you think of that conversation? It must have been good for you, too. Man, fellow Calgarian. Yeah. Can't go wrong there. No, exactly. We've got the three Canadians hashing it out over, I guess, uh, which should be the national, and I guess it is was at one point anyway, the national pastime, at least for my my grandmother's uh, best friend, Auntie Lottie, we called her, lived on the other side of the street. Uh-huh. She would go to the wrestling matches at Maple Leaf Gardens and whack, whack the... Uh, the heels with her purse just, you know, along that entrance way and just, just yelling and screaming all the curse words she could think of at that time. So Whacking away, huh? Whacking away. <laughs> That's pretty wacky. That's a wacky, it's a wacky old lady, let me tell you. Wonderful woman. But um, but anyway, yeah, so we were talking a lot about uh, pro wrestling from all over the globe and um, New Japan pro wrestling, major major league wrestling, Noah and WWE and Evolve and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on. Speaking of Evolve, by the way, 
Let's Slam see. Wrestling Finland alumni. Yeah. Natalia Markova making her presence known at uh, this Evolve yeah, 10th, 10th anniversary. That's right. I like her new gear. Yeah, I didn't see the Evolve show yet. I saw at least um, the opening bit, and I wanted to just see their production and, and all that, which mm-hmm. which looked pretty okay. It looked very high indie, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the the wrestling on it. I know that, that uh, Matt Riddle um, uh, Gulak match was just off the charts, apparently, mm-hmm. so... I got to watch that, but um, it must be with uh, these guys are super talented. Yeah, exactly. And uh, here's the thing: I, you know, a lot of people talk about this counter programming and the uh, the war. You know, almost like that they're, they're really pushing this war between AEW and Evolve, and some people criticizing AEW for maybe focusing a tad too much on the fact that WWE might be attacking them with the counter programming and the this and the that and the other, and just should stick to doing what they do best, and that is putting on a pro wrestling show, I guess. So, but nonetheless, um, I mean, I think the more pro wrestling, the better. So, you know, if you got, and you you only have seven days out of the week, and, you know, unless you're New Japan running a pay-per-view on a Monday for some reason, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to unfortunately have to overlap some of the times, right? And the thing is that, you know, put it this way, I mean, I'm sure that Vince... You know, even if AEW is not like directly uh, competition for him, but still, it, I think that it rubs his competitive bone. Yeah, of course. That's the whole thing. It, it like it it awakes something inside of him where he's just like he just can't find it within himself just to sit back and let mm. it pass. Yeah, of course. You know? And that's all, that's actually a good thing. Yeah, it oddly is. Oddly enough, right? It is, it is. It's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but uh, saying saying that, then we had Fight for the Fallen. A- AEW's third pay-per-view is maybe the smallest in terms of um, numbers. Uh, as in, the, they were, I guess they claim they're sold out, 5,500 seats filled in the daily... What was the place called? Uh, anyway, the Daily Place or something like that, um, Jacksonville, Florida, home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this venue is owned by the Cons, right? So it's, this is uh, nobody's paying any rent here, and uh, they did, in fact, raise 150 or at least um, in excess of 150 thousand dollars towards the charity that uh, for this uh, gun violence. In um, in Jacksonville specifically, and uh, that's really wonderful. And I think everybody was really happy that that was the case. Everybody apparently stayed till the bitter end of this four hour plus marathon, uh, and in this eighty five degree weather uh, in Fahrenheit anyway. So, um, but uh, which is uh, thirty degrees. Celsius, mm-hmm. so muggy, hot, thirty degrees. That's hot, especially when the sun's out. You know, when the sun's down and it's still thirty degrees. That's uh, and probably very wet air as well, hard to breathe and everything. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, everybody stayed till the end and and had their good. Omega did his promo and cut out the where he does his good night bang with the hand as a gun. He didn't do that. He said good night boing, and uh, just to. Make sure not to be a little bit, uh, what would you call, hypocritical, I guess. Mm. So anyway, uh, but uh, in terms of overall pay-per-view, 
It was too long. Oh yeah. And uh, I think maybe if it was if the matches like uh, you pointed out earlier anyway that uh, when we were talking that 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 one is one of their biggest issues that they they can't seem to really like actually like condense these matches up and ends up running running too long and losing maybe losing some people uh, and not giving and then not giving that to main event that might hit that 25 minute mark not making that special uh for that reason you yeah. know that it's like a long very hard fought contest you know that's it yeah. so um that being said i mean there was some goods there was some bads there was actually some in my opinion, there was one, which we'll get to, that was quite unacceptably bad. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, then there was some insane gimmicks, really crazy characters. And uh, so you kind of had that buffet effect here. Uh, but let's start off with the, the pre-show, which was the librarian, your favorite gimmick of all time, as well as most other people in the world seem to love it in a sarcastic, don't like it at all way. Uh you had him against Sonny Kiss, another controversial star, I guess, in some ways, but uh, it was a short match, like, I guess, in a, in a very good way. Mm-hmm. And um, I I think it was probably fine in, in a way. It was not good, great, and it probably was not bad, but very much in the fine things this librarian gimmick they seem to be going with the idea that the gimmick is the worst gimmick of all time it's up there and they know it and for some reason they are still they're pushing it because of that it seems so that's an interesting um <laughs> an interesting angle i guess we'll see the payoff if there is one but um you know uh, nothing super special there. I guess it was trying, they, they were just trying to shove this librarian gimmick down people's throats and, and trying to make a mo- mockery of the fact that people don't like it. Anyway. Well, five minutes, ten seconds, and uh, Sonny Kiss defeating Peter Avalon. So yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, next up, uh, pre-show match, Bia Priestley and Shoko Nakijama defeating Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, and Riho. So yeah. We had the Japanese girls here. We had then the debuting Bia Priestley, girlfriend of none other than... Will Ospreay. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought this match should have been way better. Uh, I know every single one of these women can go, Bia Priestley especially. I've seen her live in Rev Pro. She is really good, you know, Mm -hmm. very solid. Um and uh, I thought the only thing she had to work on was her ring entrance back then. Here, it seemed like she lost a step or was out of sync with uh, with everybody else, especially Britt Baker. And Britt Baker seemed also to be out of sync with everybody as well. Riho and Nakajima were, I thought they should have been way better. Riho has apparently been wrestling since she was nine years old. I think... Uh, I had the impression she made her debut when she was 11, but doesn't matter. She's been wrestling for a while already and still, and I think she was the youngest in the match and uh, might have even had the most experience anyway. But there just was like weird, weird lack of chemistry, weird lack of ring awareness for all these women who should be uh, amazing. And it just it fell short for me. I know a lot of people, it seemed to be well received online. Uh, it got like an above average 
I think uh, rating, uh, people thought it was great. The thing that they didn't like was that, unfortunately, there was weird subtitles that popped up during this match, or captions, uh, the captioning of the of the uh, ring announcer, or the uh, commentary team, Excalibur, and uh, at this point, it was Alex Marvez, who is terrible, and he should not be a ring announcer, or a commentator for pro wrestling. Should just shouldn't be. Um, he's not good, and and I could tell the whole show that it seemed also that Excalibur <laughs> also doesn't think that he should be because there was a little bit of tension I found hmm. between the two of them, where Marvez would make a pretty stupid comment that didn't sound like it had been researched whatsoever, and then Excalibur would, well, I'll have to correct you, uh, Alex, it's actually this, you know. Yeah. There was one point in particular that um, during the Hangman Page match, I'll just drop on this really fast, but Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Marvez uh, started to talk, or I think uh, Excalibur said, well, you know, what if Hangman Page loses to uh, Kip Sabian. What does this do for his um, title shot or that uh, spot in the uh, in the match with uh, Jericho for the first mm. AEW title? What happens? Yeah. You know, and then Marvez said, "Well, you know, maybe his maybe his spot will be taken up by somebody like um you know, the winner of Kenny Omega and uh Shima, Shima and uh, or it could be taken by um like a uh, John Moxley." For, for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then Excalibur was, well, actually, Alex, uh, John Moxley doesn't have an official win in AEW, so he cannot be considered for that space. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, Al- oh, yeah, right, uh, lights out, uh, unofficial match. And but, hey, it's, <laughs> they're still finding their sea legs. I guess, but I think a two-man two man team there. Got to be. I'm all yeah. for this two-man team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, third yeah. wheel, I think, it's just a third wheel, and it, it doesn't work, and... Anyway, that's my rant on that. Uh, I, I'm sure Marvez is a wonderful person, but mm-hmm. and I'm sure he's great at NFL commentating, but uh, not pro wrestling. He he's a pro wrestling fan. He seems to know a lot about old school pro wrestling, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, he can't. I don't think he can call a match very well. He's not exciting. Whatsoever. Hey, do you remember the former Raw general manager Mike Adamley? No, I from like 2007. Don't. I don't know the I guy might... who stumbled all over his words and the guy oh. who just like he just. He couldn't remember anything. Oh, no. No, but he was like a sports celebrity too. Okay. And he just couldn't get his shit together. And, uh, I mean, he he was known. They made a gimmick out of him stumbling over his own shit. (laughs) I guess you'd have to. Yeah. You know? Well, but then we move on to the, uh, I guess now this is the main main show here, the Mm -hmm. opening contest, the six-man tag. Mm -hmm. It basically was uh, the, I guess, the hardcore extreme wrestlers uh, that are all I guess automatically baby faces. Darby Allen, Joey Janela, Jimmy Havoc versus Sammy G, Sammy Guevara, Sean Spears, and MJF. And I actually really liked this match a lot. I thought there was a lot of good storytelling. It was big time with the Sean Spears, who is now proclaimed the chairman mm-hmm. of AEW after the chair shot. Um, and his. Uh, Gripes, I guess, with Darby Allen and also his, in this case, his teammate MJF, self-proclaimed best friend of Cody. But then again, that didn't parlay all that well. I mean, the, the gripe or whatever didn't carry over in the actual context of the match. I mean, it was maybe in the beginning a small little tension there, but that dissipated rather quick. And I, I think that it didn't serve a greater purpose in this match. You know, like, so you're putting these guys on the same team just to give them airtime. 
Mm. I think that's the, that's the reason. But uh, as far as getting over personalities, no, this match I don't think got over these people's personalities. I think MJF got himself over better on the last two pay-per-views. Right. And I think that uh, as far as, like, this is a national scale now. Um, this is not the internet where... I think these guys approached this match as people should know who I am from the internet and therefore I don't have to get myself over to begin with. I don't have to reestablish my character or who I am and what I represent, what I stand for. So I'm just going to ride my former uh, reputation or whatnot into this match and just do my spots. That's that's how I felt this thing was laid out Mm. uh, or approached. Could, Could be, yeah. And, and and that said, I didn't feel that there was an investment in the actual establishment of these guys' characters uh, first time out, like, seriously getting them into the national spotlight or second time, whatever, but still, like, to because uh, I'm not counting that that uh, battle royal from yeah, Melbourne. Right. No, you shouldn't. Horrendous. shouldn't. Horrendous. We shouldn't talk about that anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> but, 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 like, here they have a chance to get their character over. And it's not about the spots because, I mean, all over the indies and all like all throughout wrestling, you got so many talented guys and girls that can do all the spots. And wrestling is never about the spots. It's about the invest, the emotional investment that you put into the, the actual personalities and, and characters of the match. Um, it's about whether or not you care about these people. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get heat only after you care. And these, I don't feel that... These six gave us a reason as a new audience, as a new viewing demographic to care about them as personalities. What they did was they went out there and they just did their spots. Yeah, I mean, I would slightly disagree, but then I, I have a feeling that it's because I know, I, I already know these guys. Yeah. And, I, and so this is maybe this is maybe coming from the person who does know mm-hmm. about who they are and, and what they're doing. So they've already established their characters with me personally. So, But not with me. Well, there you go, right? Mm. And so that that's, that is what it is, right? So then again, it comes also to a point that I've felt from AEW is that they are a little bit too much playing, maybe on, on your point here, that they're playing too much for the audience, the indie audience that is you know, flying from all over the country to come to these shows, spending all their money because they want to support AEW and, and these, like, guys that they've watched on the indies. And they, those are the hardcore fans that know everything about these guys. And maybe they're playing too much to them, uh, where, and you know, and then they are lying on that crutch that uh, these guys know all these characters, so they don't need to do any more character development work and that so maybe that is actual the the real deal because me being the person who did know I got a lot out of this match but then I can see mm-hmm. from your perspective that if if you didn't know who these guys were and what their deal was I'm sure you'd be quite confused plus this match did go a tiny bit too long and and even here it's like I didn't get a clear cut understanding of who was the heel and who was the face so it's, I, I get you because yeah. you know you have. You have faces like uh, Jimmy Havoc, who, in terms of that he's a face here, he's biting guys' hands and, you know, doing a lot of heel tactics. But then again, crowd, you know, he's this extreme wrestler or whatever, and crowd, the crowd wants to see him do that, so they like but, it. But you know what? Whatever Jimmy Havoc's 
reputation is from the indies, it doesn't carry over as this extreme guy in like so far in AEW. So far, no. Yeah. And, and that's where it's like, he's lost in translation. I'm sorry. It's like the, he doesn't do anything that special or that unique that he stands out compared to all the other people on the show. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think he had a lot of um, interesting um, uh, interesting things going on in this match, but I think he was the most, uh, he was overshadowed. Mm. Um, they tried to sell that, you know, he he's a, he's a, qualified wrestler training with Zack Sabre Jr. And I'm sure he can uh, chain wrestle and do all, all the nine yards as well as anybody, probably better than some people. But um, I think he hasn't had his time yet, and he's just here to make an appearance and to be that third guy on the team. And I definitely, I don't think he's Sean at all in, in this match uh, to what he should have. But, uh, but that being said, uh, you know, it wasn't... Uh, I don't think anybody could say it was bad. Uh, maybe it wasn't uh, fantastic, but um, and then again, it was a polarizing match. So if you knew who these guys were, it was mm. good. If you didn't, it it just didn't it didn't translate. A word of wisdom. Uh, there's an old an old saying, which people can read into this, and I'm sure you can understand sure. my point. Just because you're somebody somewhere doesn't mean that you're somebody somewhere yeah. else. And that's a really good point. It is. It it and it stands to be remembered. I mean, regardless of who you are in the wrestling business. Now, if, if you're in the wrestling business now and you're listening to this podcast, and just because you're a star in your own country doesn't mean that when you go and travel to another country that you're going to get booked the same way that you are in your own country. There you because go. nobody knows who you are. And on the pecking order of whatever the, the level of talent on that card is, you might find yourself in a place that you're not accustomed to. Yeah, that's so true. So therefore, yeah. That's right. true. Anyway, moving on. Uh, girls match next up. Brandy Rhodes against Ali from Impact back in the day. Anyway, mm. just a couple yeah. of years ago. Torontonian girl, Allie. I mm. hoped, I expected so much more from her. But then again, I think maybe the weak link here was unfortunately Brandy Rhodes, who even had to bring out Awesome Kong to back her up. And not even that, I mean, I guess Kong got the, the pop, but mm. uh, there was, it was just... Bad. Yeah. This it, one, it was this one was definitely in the bad category. You know, and what a strange build. You do a vignette before your match, and, and they did this vignette on Brandy Rhodes. And they have her come across in the vignette blatantly and, and obviously as someone who is unsure of themselves, who's yeah. insecure. Yeah, yeah. How in the hell are you going to get somebody over by projecting insecurity? I don't get it. It's like even a, like about 10 years, 10, 15 years ago in Finland alone, they had this one gallop, this this poll amongst uh, people in Finland where they asked that what is the most attractive feature in the opposite sex? Right. You know what it was for both men and women? Could it be a C word? No. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? It was called self-confidence. Well, I was going for confidence, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, self-confidence. So you got to be assured in yourself and in your skills and who you are. Believe in yourself or nobody's going to believe in you. This is an old wisdom that I learned back in the day. So now you're trying to sell in this modern day and age of whatever AEW is a very convoluted product. I, I really don't understand what the... The, the the whole messages that they're trying to like get across with their product. But 
It's so disjointed. But Brandy Rhodes, who's supposed to be, like, she is supposed to be a star. She's the wife of the freaking head honcho of AEW. So we're talking about Cody Rhodes. Yep. Uh, how is it that she can be projected in such a weak light and then expect her to get over? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think the, with these three events that, that AEW has thrown so far, it's pretty obvious to me that they are trying to do that smorgasbord effect where they're, they are trying to just kind of put, put every, every aspect of pro wrestling, American pro wrestling, and then Japanese pro wrestling and Lucha Libre. And they're trying to like, um, throw it all out there, you know, for, for everybody to, to gawk at, I guess. It's hard to develop these storylines when you're doing these kind of one-off shows and you just have a YouTube series to kind of build. Yeah. And that, and you know, so, but this is the thing that they are being maybe a little bit too ambitious then with their, their storytelling Mm. where, uh, they come into this match and they, they had this big buildup of, you know, Ali, uh, and, um, I guess Ali saying that she needed to be confident and Ali is the confident one and, mm. and, and Brandy Rhodes is the one who chokes at the, during the, uh, during actually the, the, uh, the time to shine and she choked here, unfortunately. And I, I think it just was sloppy, just really overdrawn. Mm, yeah. And way too long at the same time. Yeah. You know, 11 minutes and it felt honestly on top of 15. Yeah. It should have been just like a little bit of back and forth showing that Brandy can't compete with Ali and then have the awesome Kong, a little bit of interference and blah, blah, blah. But I mean, and then you have Aja Kong now backing up Ali. And to be honest with you, I saw in like Aja Kong's face and it's hard to read this badass chick, but, um, I could get a little sense of like, you know, oh my God, am I really, (laughs) am I really supporting these, you know, these women who, you know, no offense, they're pro wrestlers. I respect them. Um, but you know, the Aja Kong, I've seen her matches and the, the Joshi women that she's wrestled and they're just nasty, you know, in a good way. You got that. Oh, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh legal murder yeah so i mean here then here you go with the what was what was her bunny the 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 bunny the possessed bunny the alley thing or whatever the zombie bunny i can't remember anything yeah but anyway it just not just it just doesn't fit for me and i I don't think it improves anything to have these uh because they'll probably do a tag match you know aja kong and alley versus awesome kong and brandy and Mm. This is the thing. You got two two women who are subpar women's wrestlers, and then two of the most legendary women's wrestlers that are now way past their prime. You got Undertaker and Goldberg in the women's wrestling in a in, in a way you in know? a way, yeah. Because then you got they just can't do their stuff anymore, uh, yeah. unfortunately. So how is that going to turn out? Maybe people just want to see it in, on American soil or something. Hey, since we're talking about, by the way, this WWE. Extreme Rules pay-per-view. We yeah. talked about it in the beginning. And now since you touched on Undertaker again, I, I forgot when we went through that pay-per-view at yeah. the beginning of this podcast that right at the finish, when Roman Reigns threw Shane McMahon into Undertaker and he's supposed to pick him up for the tombstone, yeah, he didn't get to pick him up. Oh, yeah. So he had to reset and then pick him up again uh-huh. to hit the finishing move. And it's like... 
you got to wonder how much did that piss off Undertaker? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That I well Undertaker yeah. especially like you know yeah yeah. Well, that's too bad. I mean, uh, but yeah. Well, anyway, it'll be interesting to see. I guess interesting to see whatever this tag match might might come out, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully it's better than this match because it was not good. Well, moving on, moving on. The Dark Order, so Evil Uno and Stu Grace, and I got to say something about this in a yeah, second. Yeah, defeating uh, ja- and and Helico and Jack Evans' sloppiest tag team ever. Uh, and a boy and his dinosaur, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, with uh, a, a miniature, <laughs> well, not a mini, but. Not a full-blown wrestler either. So somebody smaller than Jungle Boy called Marco Stunt in their corner. Yep. Uh, almost like somebody from the um, from the uh, what? What am I looking for? The famous DJ out of uh, New York. I don't know. Jeez, why can't <laughs> why can't I? Howard Stern show. Oh yeah. Jeez, yeah, how, yeah. I, I'm just brain farting here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost like Marco stunned somebody off the Howard Stern show. Yeah, but probably. Yeah. But I anyway, this was a Howard Stern show match, basically. It was. It was. Yeah, and I know that you're you're rather high on this uh, boy and his dinosaur getting the pops they did in this match. Well, I yeah. I mean, uh, to me, I don't know. Maybe that that was the illusion because I, I know you you weren't a big fan of this match, but uh, to me, it just like. Uh, it was so surprising the crowd support for for uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry um, and uh, and Luchasaurus, son of Luke Perry, by yeah, the way. There you go, mm-hmm. the one and only. And uh, I mean, I'm I'm I don't know what I feel about Marco Stunt. I'm totally fine with a, a Spike Dudley, you know, reincarnation. Yeah. Um, then again, it's gotta it's gotta serve the right purpose, right? That's right. I do have a. You know, I think Jack Evans is is an incredible athlete, and uh, same with Angelico or whatever. But Jack Evans doesn't have any expressions, and neither does Angelico. They are, and you said sloppiest tag team, and I will agree. And I don't want to agree because I want them to be awesome. But I was like, these guys look like they just don't care. They're on somas. Yeah, they just look like, I don't care, whatever, flip me over here, sure. Yeah, I'll do this, throw my body over here. I'll kind of punch you a little bit, but uh, I won't. Yeah, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to commit all the all the yeah, way. I don't no. want to hurt anybody, so I'm just going to like uh, kind of kick him. Sound, mean, it sounds so indie. What you're describing right now, I guess. But you know, there's then there's the indie side of like you know Brian Danielson and Kevin Steen. Yeah, but know? there's something to say for committing to your moves. There and, is, and, and and to and to having deliberation. And there's. For, that word alone here, deliberation with these two guys, Angelico and... Uh, they, they need to get cool. better, and they need Din, Dean Malenko to sit them down, and, and Jerry Lynn. Jerry Lynn and Dean Malenko sit these guys down and be like, okay, we we get it, you guys can do probably the most athletic thing. I think Jack Evans is probably the most athletic, hyper-athletic wrestler in the business in terms of the amount of flips that he can do. he's I think he's more so than Ricochet and Will Ospreay. Okay. But... It's like, it kind of doesn't mean anything uh. when you can't, like, I don't know. He just, he's not, it's just not uh, having intensity whatsoever. And so it just kind of no. like falls wildly short. Now, the, the Dark Order, formerly known as the Super Smash Brothers, I guess that's not going to fly in the mainstream. And it's a weird tag team. I agree. 
they've been going at it together for a really long time. Apparently, but I, I don't see superstar written over any of the uh, like. No, yeah, no, I don't know. Like apparently, the Young Bucks and uh, you know a lot of people believe that they they were the best tag team on the Indies for a long time and never got their shine. Could be. Um, they, I think Stu Grayson. Uh, I think he's a quite a good wrestler, but I think it's like uh, there might be some kind of confusion of gimmicks going on, or confusion of what he should be doing. And I think that he doesn't wrestle uh, to his project. How could you say projected stature? Right. I, I think I think that he, the way that he comes across his mannerisms his body language and the way that he wrestles it's almost like he wants to be rick steiner and and he wants to be like a mixture of rick steiner and bill goldberger like maybe even brock lesnar and, and it's like this guy is i don't know he's got to be five nine possibly yeah and and it's he doesn't have the build of 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 like a bigger guy he's he's rather thin okay he's got some muscularity but the thing is that he's rather thin and he doesn't wrestle like believable according to his stature. It's like you you don't have a guy that size suplexing people all over the freaking place. Yeah. It just doesn't come across right. Mm-hmm. And and then this evil Uno guy. Um okay, I don't know what he looks like without the mask. The most generic mask in the world. Very much so. And and just like I just gotta be blunt and just say it. I mean a fat guy in a mask. Yeah. A, a, an out of shape guy in a mask who can move rather well. Yeah. I mean, he, the stuff that he does in the ring, like his actual work, I got, he's fine. But mm-hmm. as a character, complete dud. Yeah. And again, uh, this is, uh, I think, probably one of those things where the internet fans, uh, I don't know these guys so well. So I, I'm now on the, the, the other side of the fence where the internet fans, I think these guys are over already. Uh, but then it, that being said, I think this dark order gimmick is not over yet. Um, the goons are bad. Yeah. Those creepers. I think they, they should have, they shouldn't do that kind of stuff. This is like this Chikara PWG kind of, uh, indie style that, uh, Jim Cornette calls outlaw wrestling or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And it is. And I think that that's why they're put here because that's, they, I think that the young bucks and Cody and Omega, they want this outlaw stuff on their show because American pro wrestling fans, uh, enjoy that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I'm fine that there's a place for it here. I'm glad it's not in the main event. Uh, this is the weird thing though. Luchasaurus and jungle boy. Yeah. They're great. And I, it's like a weird, I don't know. They, you know, in a lot of ways they shouldn't be great. A boy and his dinosaur, like a Luchasaurus, Dude, uh, he's a, a really amazing athlete. He showed it in this match doing some pretty uh, hyper-athletic stuff. He's a, apparently, you know, with that um, John uh, Johnny Impact or Hemingway or whatever his thousand names are. That Hennigan. Hennigan. John, Hennigan. John Hennigan. Yeah, yeah, right. That um, they are doing this parkour stuff together. And this Luchasaurus is legit 6'6", six, six, I believe, 6'5". Oh, yeah. he's, he's, he's a big dude, and especially in AEW. And he can do all these like nip ups and flip overs and whatever stunts, and uh, he seems to do them really well. I think he like the combination with him and Jungle Boy. There's a lot of like fun and exciting stuff that they were doing. I don't think that they're like um, uh, they're in this like kind of like gimmicky tag team division, which is what we're seeing here. I think. 
Yeah. And then you got like your proper tag team division, which is like the SCU and uh, Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. And uh, I guess it's maybe a dynasty tag team with the brotherhood of Cody and, and Dustin. But, uh, right, right, right. But yeah, I think it was just full of gimmicks, uh, and I was so surprised how over Luchasaurus and Jack, uh, Jack Evans, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy uh, were, and uh, I mean, it made me smile, so that's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was a spot fest, no doubt, and it was too long, again. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. It's like this AEW booking of these matches is on the main card, It's everybody's getting like 20 minutes on average, and you don't get anybody over with just having even Steve and everybody going out and showing what they got, all the shit that they can do in, inside of 20 minutes. Cause then nothing stands out. Yeah. You do a few things that you do damn well. And those are left or impressed indelibly in people's minds. If you know where to place them. Yeah. But when you do a million things and you show everybody all the colors of the palette and, uh, that you have, it's like, you know, these million colors, nobody remembers anything. Mm, that's true. And uh, anyway, in this match, too much of that going on. Three-way tag team match. So the, the idea here was that uh, at All Out, which is on the 31st of uh, August, that's the, the next big pay-per-view for AEW, uh, they get uh, an opportunity. It was in the, the first round bye yeah. in the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament. Uh, so in this match, it you was the, the Dark Order. Yep. Yeah winning at the end and like i said a very confusing tag team especially like for a, a national spotlight these guys are as indie as indie gets in image alone uh, I, okay maybe they can wrestle maybe they can work whatever but still once again Stu grayson does not wrestle to his projected uh, according to his projected image it's like ray mysterio going out there and doing press slams it just mm. doesn't make any sense yeah it just doesn't and i think that you know i'm a big fan of the well, here's the thing that Jack Evans and Angelico have right, is that they're wearing, they look like a tag team. Yeah. These guys, I don't know why, I don't know why they they don't look like a tag team. You know. They don't. It, it's, I'm fine with having the fat guy and the fit guy. You yeah. know, I think that's cool. Yeah. You know, I won't say that Jim the Anvil Nighthunter was a fat guy, but he was no. like a beast of a dude. And then you had your athletic, you know, Bret Hart. There. Yeah. You know, and that, the, the power guy and the, and the than the speed the, guy. The, spi- the uh, finesse. Finesse, yeah. Mm. So that's cool. But why why do they, why does Stu Grayson look like he's in the gladiators uh, and um, and Evil Uno? And same with the names, Evil mm-hmm. Uno and then Stu Grayson. Yeah. I don't know why. Like in the indies, it was like player Uno and player Dos. And that's cool, fine yeah. enough, because uh-huh. it's a tag team. They yeah. got similar names. But I think they should have they should have worked on that aspect because mm-hmm. it seems to me like player or this evil uno is a tag team kind of look yeah. and then Stu Grayson is a singles guy that got lumped into the tag team that's it that's yeah, it but anyway moving then, on yeah Adam Page against Kip Sabian singles match now they're trying to do the same thing as they did with Cody Rhodes and then yeah. with um what's his name Darby Allen from the last pay-per-view Fighter Fest they had them go 20 minutes there and then now these guys, they're teasing that they're going to go 20 also. Now, first of all, I got a gripe here because, and I don't want to sound negative, but it's like I've been in the business for over 25 years. I think I can see already, you know, I, I understand the product. So I think there's, you know, I'm speaking from, from that end of the spectrum. But now you're trying to build up Adam Page yeah. as the equal of Chris Jericho, where the winner will be crowned the 
the first AEW World Champion. Yeah. Right? At this uh, August 31st All Out show in Chicago. Now, and this is the go-home show for that, for Adam Page, to get Adam Page ready, prepped, and over to face Chris Jericho. Yeah. Who's he facing here? A guy called Kip Sabian. Okay. Mm-hmm. The internet maybe has heard of him, but who is he in the grand scheme of things? Is he on the same upper tier level as the Cody's, as the Chris Jericho's, as I guess Adam no, Page? No, he's not. No, he's not. He's a mid-card talent or then a lower-card talent. So you have to wrestle according to what the blueprint is. Yeah. I mean, like, so what, 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 what do you bring to the dance? Mm. Whatever the elements are that you bring to the dance and whatever the story is that you're trying to get across, you have to wrestle to that level. They failed miserably in that aspect. First of all, they never got out of second gear. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, they went 19 minutes, five seconds. So they're teasing that they're going to go to a draw, that this thing is just... As Kip Sabian keeps on fighting, he keeps on staying in the game. It should have been well over half shorter, and it should have been Adam Page with a real strong go-home. We talked about earlier on this podcast about uh, this WWE, the last pay-per-view, this Extreme Rules, where they had the New Day win the tag, tag team straps, and where Big E was in the finishing sequence with Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And it was a super, super strong go-home. It was like, all Big E at the end. His yep. man, the pop was incredible. Yep. They could have done the same thing. And it was like, you listen to the crowd mm. in this match, and they're just not getting in it. Yeah, I think that you're definitely right. It was too long. And I think Kip, Kip Sabian is in... The thing is, I guess he beat Sammy Guevara on that first uh, uh, event. Yeah. Uh, double or double nothing. nothing. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's got a win, a singles win. And so he's going against Adam Page here. Fine, fine and dandy, but he is in a ripe position to uh, to have a loss. He, that he needs to be, he needs to job here to give Adam Page that fire. That, like you said, going in to that uh, all out, mm-hmm. and I think it's okay that he would have a decisive loss. You know, so no shame in losing. There's no shame in losing, especially when it gives a reason to make another guy look look like a million bucks. That's right? it. Yeah. And that it's all should be for the greater good. And, uh, yeah, too long. And, I mean, that at the end of this, after Hangman gets the victory, uh, one of the creepers uh, revealed as Jericho. Everybody knew it was Jericho the second it came to the ring. And But, you know, still I love how Jericho does that little those little things. He came out, code broke his face open, and uh, sent that message or whatever that had been bit of a thing and later on Chris Jericho came and did a pretty awesome supposedly they made a big deal out of saying this was completely unscripted mm-hmm. that Chris Jericho did the and it was a great great uh, promo that he did I thought anyway to the crowd but the next match anyway was the Lucha Brothers versus SoCal Uncensored and uh, Lucha Bros end up picking up this victory and then challenging the Young Bucks for a ladder match at All Out which I'm sure will be a a spot fest as well, and I and I I really hope it's going to be a good one. In in that way, a nasty ladder match. I don't know what they're going to be climbing the ladder for. I guess nothing. It's just going to be a ladder war, as they call it. Mm-hmm. But what did you think of this match uh, with SoCal uncensored? I was disappointed. Oh yeah, I honestly was. I I just thought that it was just a bunch of bunch of disjointed spots. I I didn't feel like there was any like 
how could you say, like real deliberation here. Mm, um, yeah. I just thought that they, they could have done so much more with it, with the guys involved. They could have been so much better, and it, I, I, it fell short of expectations. Yeah, exactly. Um, I felt that in the middle with the uh, the Mexicans then going for their hand gestures and then just the match coming to a halt with this, just this, this like, shtick yeah. in the middle of the match. Yeah. Like, that served nothing. Okay, so zero, miedo, so no fear, whatever. Okay, I understand. That's your line mm. if you're Pentagon, but... When the match stalls and it's like you lose that sense of competitiveness. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's shit that you do in the beginning of the match. It, true. Before it gets rolling. Yeah. You don't do that in the middle. Mm. And, and and that's it. It's like, you know, you, they should know better. Uh, so for the level of talent involved here, I think they could have done much better. I think that they could have done more. Yeah. Um, I thought it was lackluster. I think so too, and uh, funny that you you mentioned as well the level of talent because there's, you know, Frankie Kazarian, which I think he never really shone as well as he should have because yeah. he's very talented. Yeah, uh, definitely physically gifted, but I don't know what whatever lacked those years is still maybe lacking. And Scorpio Sky is really talented as well. Yeah, you know the Lucha Bros are definitely one of the best tag teams in the world, no doubt. Yeah. Um, Again, on paper, this is a this is a mega match, but for some reason, yeah, it wasn't as good as you would want it to be. Maybe there was just no. What was the story here? That, too much shit. Yeah, honestly, it's just that you're doing too much. You don't need. It's like you know they asked, was it Chris Jericho? Oh no, sorry, no, Chris Benoit. Or was it uh, Eddie Guerrero? I think it was Benoit back in the day. Yeah. I think it was in the UK, some paper, like The Sun or whatever it was. And they asked him, why don't you do all the stuff that you used to do in, in Japan in your matches? And he said that I only do what I need to do. Yeah. And, and that's like what these guys need to learn is that just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Mm. Just because you can do a million things and you have all these different spots planned out doesn't mean that you should because everybody else on that show, almost almost everybody else, is doing the same thing. They're trying to show everything in their repertoire. Yeah. So pull back and just like skim, skim off the top, only the cherries. Yeah, yeah. Save that. Stand out because of that. Otherwise, just work the match. Totally. Uh, so, you know, it, it's on them, man. It's on these. They could have done so much more and they have to take the fall for it. True. Okay, anyway, moving on. Um, Kenny Omega against Chima. Yeah. I thought best match on the card. I thought this was the match of the night. Mm. Singles match, 22 minutes, 30 seconds, so it was long. Um, but I thought that here, both guys, they had that competitive edge. Yeah. And yeah. I thought there was good fire, good execution, good sequences. I thought they overstayed their welcome, though. I thought it was too long once again. I, th- I think they could have skimmed five to six minutes off of it, and it would have been completely fine. I think it would have been better than what it turned out being if they would have just taken out some stuff that I thought was redundant yeah, uh, content-wise as mm. far as the, the body of work and the story of the match. But that said, still, great, great match. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I guess I have really high expectations for Kenny Omega, and especially when he's wrestling a Japanese star. And uh, maybe the, maybe Shima is like maybe past his prime slightly. I I don't think he should be, but for some reason for me, I I expected a tiny bit more from him. Okay. Um, 
But the this is the thing that the intensity was here. The striking yep. was like mm-hmm. really nice, yep. and uh, so that like definitely this match was delivered in that way, hundred uh, percent. That uh, they were showing, I guess, giving this example is this is how this is how you have a fight. So yeah, if there's one thing that I have to say, and I know this is like really nitpicking now. Yeah, of course, but. If there's only one gripe that I would ever have about Kenny Omega, mm. as far as like just his work, yeah. or, or not, not, not even his work, because this is not a question of his work. It's a question of, um, how could you say, it's a question of emotional projection. Mm. So part of the, 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 part of professional wrestling, a big part of it is, uh, emotion and, yeah. and his fire. Uh, so your body language can be great, but if there's something that's missing in your eyes or in your face in that moment when you have to have that killer fire, mm. uh, that's one thing about Kenny Omega that when he grimaces and when he has that, like he does that gunpoint and gesture yeah, and it's like, okay, now I'm going to take your head off. Mm. There's something about that grimace that I don't feel it's, it's, I, I, it's almost like his face doesn't stretch quite to that degree that it should or something. Mm. But I, I just don't feel that that's, in that moment that I completely 100% buy what he's selling. Uh, and I know it's a really nitpicking mm. thing and I know it's, a, it's probably a tender point for many people to hear this because I mean, Kenny's great. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I've met Kenny before and he's, he's great, honestly, as, as a talent, fantastic. But it's these small, minute things and it brings me back to what uh, Shawn Michaels said the first WrestleMania where he wrestled Undertaker in 2009, I think it was. Yeah, 2009. And he said this, that I've been able to extend my career by many, many years by mastering the art of facial expressions in the HD camera age. Yeah. He said this to the Houston Chronicle, his hometown newspaper in the, in the city of Houston, Texas, where they held WrestleMania. Mm. So that said... If you want to do a cross comparison of Shawn Michaels and Kenny Omega, this is the defining factor between these two. Not in the work. The work is great. In the facial expressions. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, some people think, I guess I've criticized him for slightly overacting sometimes. That too. And I mean, uh, and maybe there's that line because... And I've seen a bunch of, of course, I've watched loads of matches um, with him in, in Japan. And there has been the times where you really do see that desperation and that real emotion like falling out of him. But I guess that is, you know, probably one of the most difficult things as a pro wrestler to to actually master. So, um, and it is a legitimate uh, gripe to have a, about any pro wrestler, especially when they get to a degree that uh, they're at such a high level, because those nitpicky things are then, you know, that's that's when they really mean a lot. Exactly. That's you know? when that's when the small things and the details matter. That's right. But anyway, so Kenny Omega picking up the win, otherwise great match. And in the last final match of this fight for the fallen. It was the Rhodes Brothers, now Cody Rhodes and uh, Dustin Rhodes, a.k.a. Gold Dust, up against Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Now, Dylan, I know that you're pretty high on this one. Yeah, and I um, I have an excuse. 
Well, what's your excuse? <laughs> no, well, I'm I'm just saying that uh, I think a lot of people's issue with this match was that uh, the show was so long, and um, and the the tag matches that we saw before this were so flashy, like so flashy, and those matches were also as well long. This match was also long. I think it was upwards in around twenty five minutes or something like that. You'll maybe you'll pick up the time over there but uh but anyway and the people in the building i think had been sitting in the sweltering wet heat for quite a while so 85 yeah, was fahrenheit so 30, what, what is that 30 i think it was like 29 and a half 30 degrees okay you know celsius and um yeah so but uh me in the comfort of uh, my own home at least watching this one uh, I just watched, because I'd watched the show in three parts, and this was the third part, was uh, the Jericho speech, which I thought was fantastic, uh-huh. uh, as it, I mean, it usually would be, um, and then this and this match. So I didn't have any fatigue going into this, and I watched it uh, in a, you know, uh, in the bubble. Uh, so, yeah, I could tell maybe the crowd wasn't as lively, um, but I, I enjoyed the match. I mean... The the one thing uh, that I I don't I didn't like and I think we can agree is this drop down uppercut punch thing you know that the yeah, road wasn't the only thing man yeah well <laughs> I just don't, I wish they just wouldn't do it and it gets a pop you know it does get a pop and I don't know why and it's sloppy it's shizzy yeah I I don't like it but um it, I wouldn't say this was the best I wouldn't say it was the best match on the card for sure but no, I would no, say no. that. It was much better than I think a lot of people give it credit for, and I think it was because uh, it was in this main event slot, which it is a main event, the Young Bucks versus, the, what are they saying, the Brotherhood, mm-hmm. Dustin and Cody Rhodes. So you can't get much bigger names than that in terms of tag team wrestling at the moment. And uh, But yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best match, uh, but I think it was much better than people are giving it credit for. And I think it suffered from its position on the card and, uh, I guess, what happened before it in the night, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, it went 31 minutes, 25 31 seconds. 31 minutes. Oh, it had a 60-minute time limit. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's... Uh, it, maybe that is too long. I would say this, that, like, just critically breaking down this match, um, there's a point when... I, I used to have this, you know, this old NWA junior heavyweight champion friend of mine that I that I was friends with back in Calgary uh, at the start of my career named Les Thornton. Oh, yeah. And Les had a word for modern wrestling, and this was like back in 92 already. All right. It was called Gaga. <laughs> I guess modern wrestling, regardless of the era, is probably Gaga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, he was watching a match from Marcus, what was it, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and he was like, oh, this is just Gaga. This is like... Well, I, I'll agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's Gaga today as well. Yeah. Well, now, when we get to uh, this match here, um, I'll tell you what made this match Gaga. Yeah, tell me. Okay, the first 10 to 15 minutes I can live with. Mm. The second half of this match I can't live with any which way. Okay. And the reason for that is that there was so much gaga that it discredited the credibility or the 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 believable the believability uh of what this match could have been right so when you have guys doing synchronized moves like 
coming off the ropes at the same time, doing the exact same move and having the other team receiving the move uh, receive it in the exact same way mm. and feedback and take another exact same move. It's There's so much collusion mm. and so much choreography and so much giveaway right there that it destroys the credibility of what you're trying to project as I'm, I'm maybe maybe they're not trying to project this as a an actual uh, competitive match but it brings it to the level of being an exhibition mm. and I can't stand that I, I hear you I, I understand what you mean about like these stereo like, you know calling it the stereo sharpshooters and uh, I don't mind that uh, at one point, especially in a tag team match, if, uh, you know, they grab the two guys and they both throw on the the submission or whatever, or do these, uh, but yeah, I, I totally get you that it was like back and forth with these, uh, stereo, we'll call it stereo. Stereo, stereo selling. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So maybe that was a bit too much. And then I, the only argument I have for this is that again, this crowd that they're playing for is, mm. uh, you know, I'll use that mm-hmm. playing for this mm. crowd. Mm. Uh, especially the live audience here, they, they want that. That's, you know, and I'm not saying that I liked that bit of the match. Mm. Um, cause it does break the wall down in the, in the wrong way. Pulls the curtain back way too much. Yeah. But then again, the smart marks, or I guess they're, I mean, everybody's just a mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the American ones, mm-hmm. uh, again, they they want this, uh, they want that outlaw style. They want Gaga. <laughs> well, some of them do, you know. That, that's why they have even Lady Gaga. There you go. That's why she's so popular. Pro- mo- more than likely. So They love their Gaga. Gaga is, is the thing. But, um, yeah, I mean... It is. It's at that, as we'll say, the crossroads here. The Cody Rhodes' uh, finisher will use that. That um, where does AEW go? Because I think it seems to me that their 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 package that they're trying to sell is a is a smorgasbord. So they want the outlaw stuff. They mm-hmm. want that to be the mid card, and then they want the they want. It's like what they want to m- mix the outlaw. So let's. Let's use that outlaw indie with sports entertainment with Japanese strong style, and at the moment the mix is starting to is starting to bubble in the wrong way. I think. Yeah, the thing is that, like, once again, if you as a company, let's say you're selling your television product or you're trying to license it uh, to a different market, so we're talking about. Uh, you know, broadcasting rights and and whatnot. So syndication. Yeah. Right? Um, different markets receive professional wrestling in very different ways. I think, like, the Nordics are a really tough place to crack wrestling because people here have a very different view of sports as compared to, let's say, Southern Europe. Yeah. Yeah, true. And, uh, or even Central Europe, um, to speak nothing of America. So... Uh, if you have a smorgasbord that you're trying to project, so you're, you're not, you don't have any clear cut, how could you say direction that you're, that's your spearheading message for your product, but it's a smorgasbord. 
So you're hoping you're you're offering all these different variations and varieties, and you're hoping that one of them sticks more than the others, and then maybe you'll go with that one that sticks more than the others over the others, right? Mm. So that'll be your predominant route that you're going to take. The problem is that when you're pitching in syndication and you're looking to go into different markets, uh, you're going to have a major problem if you don't have one concise, clear message that you're sending across. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I, I guess the, the biggest thing that, you know, will I'll either be um, proved right or proved wrong when they go to TV. And I'll tell you, uh, the best cross parallel to this yeah. is that think of Metallica or like think of any band. Yeah. Okay. You produce an album where one song is jazz. The next song is the blues. The next song is heavy metal. The next song is death metal. And the next song is elevator music. Yeah. What in the world, how are you going to even grade that album? Like on what merits will you actually give it a number or or like a, a review? Right. You know what I mean? It's so damn near impossible that there's no homogenous, how could you say silver lining? Yeah. So that's right now your cross parallel to AEW. That's where they need to get their shiz at together. They need to get uh, concise. They need to get precision as far as like having a vision for themselves and for their future and for their product. What is AEW? Who are they? What do you represent? What is the message that you want to send across to your potential fan base and not just to the ones that are there already from the internet who know the, the, about the wrestlers that you're signing? That's the question. Mm. So, nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, these are the heavy questions and the deliberations of the day for this week here on Shooting the Shizat. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us. It's been a blast. We've gone through a lot of stuff. This is a long episode, I know, but I know that you've loved it. I know I've loved it. There you go. So is Dylan, right? You and loved it? Harry Smith loved the shizad out of it, that's for sure. Absolutely. We loved Harry Smith, too. That's true. So thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to catch you next week with more Shoot the Shizad. <laughs>